Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 58 and in this edition we discuss the history of the man that has brought us from the beginning to the present day of Resident Evil, its profile, Chris Redfield. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, he's been here for every episode of Profile and now together we might finally have gotten to the root of the series. It's Fire Button Steve Valance. Ha 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 ha! I understand that reference. <laughs> Hi everybody. We want him to be on this episode, but we forced him to prove himself by punching his way through many, many boulders. You might know him as the voice of Chris Redfield in our own dub of Resident Evil The Beginning, it's Sonny Bauer. Reporting in. Hello everybody. Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tears begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. Before we get into anything at all, of course, it's a profile episode. So at the top of the show, I just want to shout out our contributor to the profile series, Distant Memories 1996, who you can follow on Twitter at Distant Memory 96, providing yet again some fantastic writings from the perspective of Chris Redfield this time around, of course, uh, who is being performed by BoxTube, who you can find on YouTube under the same name. So shout out to those guys for making the profile episodes just that little bit extra special. It's been a hot minute since we had an episode of the podcast. There's quite a lot of housekeeping to get through. First of all, thank you to our latest Patreon. Thank you to Yellow Gem Ecto for their support for the show. And thank you to all of our patrons for continuing to support First Aid Spray over the many months. Now that we've had a patron, we are continually putting out content early over on that side of things. For example, the Now That's What I Call Survival Horror episode of Dino Crisis is out there to listen to now for patrons where Sherwin picked his top 10 tracks from that classic survival horror title. Uh, Meanwhile, several other episodes have since been Patreon exclusive that are now out publicly. The latest episode of Tear Death Experience, where we ranked the deaths of the various members of Stars. The Street... (laughs) I mean, that was a thing. Uh, The Street Fighter Film Club podcast is now out publicly. Uh, And we also put out a couple of experimental videos that we quite like the format too. Hopefully everyone else enjoys them where we sat down and did wish lists for the upcoming Resident Evil Village DLC and our reverse talking about things that we'd like to see things that we wouldn't like to see and some bold predictions for those. Those are over on our YouTube so go check them out now before the you know the DLC and our reverse drops or afterwards and see how wrong or right we were. It's also probably worth pointing out that uh, sometime in the last few weeks we also set up our second YouTube channel somewhat migrating over from Twitch for the most part. So uh, yeah, go check out First Aid Plays, which is where Itchy Painty is taking place every week. And there hopefully will be gameplay streams in the future as well. Uh, That's all from us. We have one hell of an episode, but we also have one hell of a lot of news to get through. No, no, there was no news. No, no, nothing. Nothing. Only um, Resident Evil Force gameplay and cinematic trailers have released, and there are now pre-orders available. Um, yeah, no that's deal. a thing. No I mean, deal. yeah, Sonny, how are you feeling about RE4 remake off the back of that? Um, I'm, I'm feeling excited. I, uh, 
I don't I don't know if I I don't think I've said it like you know like publicly on Twitter or anything, but I'll just say it here, and it's going to be possibly used against me. I think it's gonna I think it has the potential to be better than the original. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think famously I have told the story about how Resident Evil Four. I was one of those uh, pearl clutchers of not my Resident Evil when it came <laughs> out, and I've I've warmed to it over the years. But this looks much more up my street, you know. Sure, the, the if this was the remake, if the remake released where the original did, I'd probably be easier with it because it's much more tonally like what I wanted to see. Sure, the combat is obviously much more action-packed, but, you know, whatever. The tone looks great. The action does look great. They showed quite a lot of stuff. Uh, to be honest, I'm flipping my lid over here. I'm really, really excited for this, which surprised uh, myself, to be honest. Steve, how are you feeling about it? It's not right, Resident Evil 4. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, honestly, it's pretty hype. Like, it's a strange thing because the combat looks both somewhere between RE4 and yet still being drawn backwards. But then we've got the the parry, like mm. the goddamn parry, which I think the last time we saw that was in RE6. Yeah. So, um, and the reversal of the chainsaw. I mean, I don't think anyone watching that live did not look at that and go, oh my God, he's doing it. He's finally learned how to repel a chainsaw. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's only took him, what, 20 years? Mm. <laughs> it feels like... Yeah, <laughs> the answer yeah, all along was just, just a knife. That's all it takes. Uh, <laughs> which plays into his, like, his supposed like, knife master style character he's got going down with RE4 when he fights Krauser. Mm. Which, by the way, will now probably not be a QTE fest. And instead, yeah, you're doing that yourself. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Calling it now. I, uh... So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I think no, I'm sorry, sorry. no oh no 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 I'm sorry I was jumping on you a little bit there um I th- I think uh, uh, you know I, it's it was a very divisive original game wasn't it? it did so much for the series it, it revolutionized the gaming industry I mean it paved the way for titles like Dead Space and and Gears of War with that over the shoulder perspective um, and stuff like that I think one of the biggest criticisms probably that we would give it was the story and how how there was <clears throat> basically none except for rescuing the president's daughter right. Now, did you notice that uh, uh, during the countdown to the um, to the showcase that they had Shinji Mikami with I think it was what June Ta- Takeuchi, yeah, uh, and they just they had that. I mean, I think that th- this might be a little telling. Like, it seemed a little strange for like a little excerpt of that to show up, and he was talking about how like there are Ari fans out there who like appreciate continuity and story. Or, or something mm, like they, along those lines. They specifically I, mentioned he was like, oh, you know, someone Shinji was saying someone that I work with. I haven't played Village, but someone that I work with really appreciates Village about how it ties all like into all the other games, which is quite an interesting, as you say, that's an interesting to call out specifically on the lead up to the showcase. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've and I remember in, in an in- interview previously before, um, just before it was announced, actually the RE4 remake, he says something along the lines of if. If it is remade, I just hope they make the story better. So I'm getting like these little like you know breadcrumbs here, and I'm kind of holding my you know like holding on to hope that they're going to focus on like the story a little bit more and make it like connect to the to the rest of the series or like you know make it more in depth with the characters and the arcs and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm now now they got my hopes up, so I don't know what they're going to do, but I just wanted to point that out. I I thought it was very interesting. No, no, no. I agree. I hope they do it organically, though. I don't want to see, for example, like a retcon like Sadler now works for Umbrella with El Nesto Four underneath the village. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I might have I might have more... something to say about that, but so... that might be for a different podcast. 
because I because I think I uh, I think I disagree with you, but I have reasons for disagreeing about that and, and how Sadler being an XL umbrella scientist would actually enhance everything because of the parasites and stuff. But yeah, I, fair. Yeah, I, I don't want to take up too much time doing that, you know. <laughs> See, if, if, if we're going tinfoil hat, I would take it as um, Luis should be like a, a early, early member of the Connections. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Drag it, to, drag it forward. But um, no, I agree that something should be done. I just feel like it should be organic. Mm. Uh, I think. By the way, this looks to be the RE4 that unites the fans rather than divides them, much to its original's legacy. Yeah, right. I, I, I agree. It's I was saying this um, during the, watching the showcase, I think. Uh, it's, like, it's really funny because RE4 really was the title that divided a lot of people, and everyone was like, wow, it's, it, it has nothing to do with the story of Resident Evil. Whereas this remake is completely the other way. It has the potential to bring everything so much closer together. And not to go on about the point that we always bring up, but the last few games that they've made, uh, especially the remakes, have been so good for characterization. Uh, so I think that in terms of cutscenes and story and characters and stuff like that, they're probably going to smash it again because they've been routinely doing it. And early looks at stuff like the new Luis and the new Salazar and stuff like that give me hope that, uh, yeah, we might actually get that, as you say, the RE4 that unites rather than divides. Yeah, and, and it came at such a pivotal time, didn't it? I mean, we had three previous games that like, had cliffhangers setting up the same, you know, the same end game that just never never happened so to speak and then at the same time it, it didn't um you know it didn't go there but then it didn't replace anything it mm. didn't put anything in its place and then we went to re5 and re5 kind of you know tied up certain loose ends uh, from earlier in the se- uh, the series and stuff so yeah this this um this remake could really like not only you know uh do that kind of like you know uh, t- tie all those loose strands to the past but it could also it could be a bridge between, you know, the past and the present or future or whatever, mm. uh, story-wise. It could really connect a lot of elements together going going in. Our next piece of news. Resident Evil Village has a 60-minute third-person demo. Uh, Steve, have you had a chance to play this at all yet? I think it's only really been available for, like, a couple of days. So, have you had a chance to dip in? Uh, exciting everybody, I have not. I thought I'd wait for the full release. <laughs> That's completely <laughs> like, fair. Yeah. I mean, we are less than a week out now as we record, so, like, I get that completely. Sonny, have you had a chance to play it? I, yeah, I played it once. I, I want to I want to actually stream it when I have time, um, mm-hmm. but I did get a chance to play it once, and, and it's very interesting uh, to be able to play it for, uh, from that perspective because we're so used to... Well, Seven and Village. We're so used to dealing with um, those particular titles from the first-person perspective. So um, while the demo doesn't, you know, go too far into things, being able to face those enemies, like you know, behind the shoulder, it does feel it does feel like totally different. It's it's very interesting. It's very reminiscent of um, of uh, RE2R and, and RE3R's gameplay style. So it'll feel yeah. familiar in, in that aspect but the fact that it's like a totally different um, you know area with different enemies and stuff like that not zombies it's it's interesting it's different yeah yeah I'm gonna say from what I've seen uh, most people have showed uh, like either high ceilings or outdoor shots and I'm wondering like inside those cabins and certain other areas is the camera gonna be a bit more boxed in mm-hmm. um, I wonder I, I think that claustrophobic feel, uh, feel can definitely work for third-person shooters and stuff in general. I mean, it works mostly well in RE2R. Um, I just wonder if this is a sign for things to come, because I know RE4 
has a VR mode coming with it as well, doesn't it? Whether there'll be maybe not necessarily launch, but a way to play both versions, first person and mm, that's a good point. Not yeah, um, it's interesting because the demo, uh, the sort of slice of the game that you get to play is actually the same kind of part of the game for the Nintendo Switch cloud version demo. So it's the sort of like jails or whatever, the cells underneath the castle, uh, which is an interesting choice because it does give you that claustrophobic uh, kind of feel. And it's definitely an interesting way to see how the new, the gameplay feels with that change, how the combat feels with that kind of change to it. But Bearing in mind that Resident Evil Village, a lot of its combat doesn't necessarily take place in confined areas. There are a lot of open areas like the village itself, um, you know, the rooftops of the castle and stuff like that. So I think people are going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting for people to kind of experience all the different kinds of combat and stuff like that, that it can potentially change. Because the, the change is definitely going to be noticeable, let's put it that way. And uh, as a general rule, of course, I think we all... I'm fairly happy that this is a thing for accessibility reasons. If nothing else, it's it's cool that it exists. So uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone's kind of like take on the full playthrough. Certainly. Yeah, I, I wonder how many. Um, I wonder how many aspects of Village are going to uh, revert back to the first person uh, perspective. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure cutscenes will probably do that. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many times you get attacked by, like, you know, um, a certain character. Like, I wonder if, like, you know, when, like, the daughters grab you, you know, and, and like, do what they do, like, bite you, stuff like that. I wonder if that's all going to be, uh, you know, transferred mm-hmm. to third person or if that's going to switch to first person as well. It could end up jarring, you know, if if, uh, if it keeps going back and forth like that. But I think the cutscene is If I sure. had to hazard a guess, yeah. if I had to hazard a guess, Sonny, I'd think it would be kind of like, um, you know, when you're bitten by a zombie in 2-make and 3-make, where... It kind of goes up, not completely zooms in, but zooms in a bit for like a quote unquote hero shot of the zombie before they take a chunk out. Of you. Oh yeah, that yeah that that would be a great way to uh, to balance it out. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the method they'll go for, um, but obviously I can't say that until I've played it. So that's this is just pure speculation. What a surprise! <laughs> as we as we often do, right? And then sometimes we're pleasantly surprised. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah. when they release it. Yeah. Speaking of pleasantly surprised, Steve, do you want to take us to the next headline? <laughs> uh, don't worry, the moon isn't falling, the sky isn't on fire, but our reverse still lives. It does. <laughs> All the speculation that it, you know it may well be cancelled. There was talk that it was coming, but we haven't seen anything for a year and a half. And now as part of the recent Resident Evil Showcase, we got a little bit of a trailer on it. We got a look into some of the changes visually and kind of content that we hadn't seen before, as well as a little bit of a roadmap. Uh, Really excited that this is a thing. Obviously on the podcast we said before, we're open-minded to give it a shot. We kind of enjoyed the early taste of it. So hopefully, fingers crossed, this kind of pans out. There are definitely some concerns to be had about it, I would say, but uh, trying to be optimistic about it. Uh, Sunny, what's your take on our reverse? Well, the first thing that I noticed when they um, dropped the the new um, <clears throat> the new trailer and the the new uh, you know sort of teaser on that was I ended up seeing the cover image and I and I saw that Chris Redfield from Village had effectively <laughs> replaced Redfield in quotes from RE Seven in his position yep. there. Yeah, he's the definitely the default, but it looks like Redfield is still a skin by the looks of things because he shows up in that trailer. So yeah, that's I, that's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, which is which is which is fine, you know, because he exists in the franchise. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I guess uh, I guess the that if I had to say anything, that would be their first step to the path of redemption with this game <laughs> was putting village on the uh, village Chris on the cover instead. 
Um, yes. We know how the fans feel about uh, about that. There's a bit controversial appearance uh, in RE7. So um, I um, it it looked uh, it looked different. Like I I don't know if I mean so, I mean some of the gameplay looks similar. Like how the characters turn turn into BOWs when damaged mm-hmm. enough, I guess. But the way that um, I saw Houndwolf Squad all show up there, like you know, it's four people, and I was like, well, is there going to be additional game modes? Like, is is there going to be a cooperative mode? Is it just is it just uh, like a a competitive mode, or are you gonna work together to do something? I don't I don't know. So I particularly um, was not a fan uh, when I played the uh, the beta. Mm. Um, I I you know coming into uh, the twenty fifth anniversary and then Reverse was announced and you know and then they announced it as a competitive game a battle I don't know, maybe like a battle royal or or something like that I'm not sure if it's considered that but you know, yeah, that's exactly what I thought about when I see all of like the, the legacy characters in a game together for like the first time. I, I the, what I want to do is not work together to survive an outbreak. Shoot I want to get. Other. I want to. Yeah, I want to just shoot each other in the <laughs> face. I want to watch all these characters just kill each other and turn into monsters and do all that. That's exactly what I've been waiting for in a multiplayer experience for twenty five years. So, needless to say. I'm not pleased about the competitive nature <laughs> of the game, but if they do have a cooperative mode, I would very much yeah. be happy to try that out. We talked about that in that wish list video that I talked about at the top of the show. Like we we want to see as much like crazy modes and cooperative stuff, and all, like really go to town with it because that's going to help it. Uh, you know, float above other games of its type. You can't just make another PvP shooter and just be done and be like, there you go, there it is, because people are just going to lose interest with it. So hopefully there is that stuff out there. It looks like when it comes to the Houndwolf squad, whilst there is stuff in the trailer where you can see like four of the guys, by the looks Mm -hmm. of it, it looks just like one guy with different skins. I think it's just Umber Eyes with a bunch of different skins. That's what I'm hoping for, because Mm. the roadmap says that there's six playable characters when the game launches, and the first update will be one playable character. So we know it's going to be Umber Eyes, I guess. And then the rest of the playable characters hopefully aren't all <laughs> Hound Wolf Squad members. That would be a little bit lacking. The only other thing that I'm concerned about is the fact that it launches with two maps. and then one, No, three maps. And then one comes later or something like that. So it's like, uh, it needs a little bit more than that. But let's, let's hope it maybe pans out. Steve, how are you feeling about REverse? Uh, I don't know if we're going to put clips of the wishlist thing into the podcast audio-wise. There's a bit where I say in that, just to spoil it, okay, uh, they can't do cross-play. If they did, it'd be great. And then um, Mm. this comes along and announces cross-play straight away. And, like, if this was to just run the the same course as Resistance, chances are it's not going to last five minutes. But with with cross-play, the player base expands exponentially. There's obviously keyboard and mouse versus controller balancing issues to address but that's going to help the game a lot and I really do appreciate that especially on our server where we've got like an ecosystem of people who play Switch Xbox and Playstation uh, you know and PC so keeping all that together is going to be great I know Switch isn't here yet but with Village going to Switch Reverse probably is coming very true actually yeah maybe so you know um so yeah, that, that's good. Like I, I'm with everybody else. Like you know, oh boy, I want to play a celebration game. The first thing that comes to mind is oddly enough, America um, is not a PvP shooter. Like I, I am, I am a PVE guy. I am a co-op guy. I'm still going to play it. I'm still going to give it a go. But the, my first thoughts are, oh boy, I wish I could shoot Leon in the face as Chris, <laughs> like or something else. 
Uh, it's, uh, yeah, that part leaves me a bit wound. But if we have enough people and there's enough crazy stuff going on, I'll forgive it. Like, you know, I, I believe uh, the maps are RPD and uh, is it Baker Estate or am I, am I talking out of my back? So yeah, the, it looks to be the Baker plantation or whatever that general area the house is definitely in there and there is a village map as well definitely mm. so okay. everything so yeah. far uh is re engine era let's hope we get some some throwback celebration stuff as well that that will be awful by the way you know like you said where if it's going to be just um umber eyes and then the rest of hound wolf like yeah okay cool you've I got your generic spec ops guys I, but that that's no, yeah. like you know, a celebration game. You want you want some people other than that. At the very like, we've least, we've already got Honk as a spec ops guy. If it has to be all RE engine stuff, at least put Marvin and Brad and stuff. Like the assets are right mm. there. Don't just give us all the random pointless soldiers whose people's you know the names that we don't remember because who cares? You know. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I mean, because they, they they came out of the gate with all the legacy characters, so. You know, yeah. throw throw in throw in you know named characters if you're going to add characters. You still got Carlos, Mikhail, and Nikolai just sat there going the RE three set, yeah. you know, just flexing in the background. Right. Um, it's like if it is just the RE engine characters and no one quote unquote new, it's going to be disappointing. Mm. Like I'm not saying throw in Steve Burnside and Rebecca Chambers, but if you do, the internet or at least the Resident Evil fandom is going to pop a lid. <laughs> um, you know, particularly for those two, I think they're the two most sought because they're the ones that everyone talks about who aren't like in new releases. Mm. All right. Well. That's a chunky bit of news that we've tried to breeze through because we have one hell of a subject to talk about in this episode. It is, of course, we've, you know, the profile episode it's all been leading up to. Profile, Chris Redfield. And now, reading original writings by Distant Memories 1996, who you can find on Twitter at Distant Memory 96, in character as Chris Redfield, Box, who you can find on YouTube at BoxTube. The world that we live in is far from a perfect place, but that doesn't mean that it isn't something worth fighting for. In truth, the world doesn't have to be perfect, but one thing that it must be is safe. Safe for everyone from those who wish to cause others harm, a goal that can only be achieved through sacrifice and teamwork. I've come to learn that safety in itself is something that must be constantly maintained day in and day out, no matter the cost. Since I was a young man, I've always had to fight for what I believed in, and for those who are unable to fight for themselves. My sister and I lost both our parents at an early age, and it was my job to protect her from the dangers of the world. I taught Claire everything I knew on how to fight and survive. This deep personal belief that I live by to always try to do the right thing, even when it can be the most difficult decision to make, is something that has stuck to me like it was tattooed to my soul. This is why I chose to become an officer for the Raccoon City Police Department. The opportunity to become something bigger than myself, to stand for all of those in the world who are broken, beaten, forgotten, and most of the time voiceless, was something that undoubtedly struck a chord in the moral code of my life. Prior to that, I had been enlisted as a member of the United States Air Force, where I learned how to fight for peace and protect the sovereignty of this nation. I thought that my place was flying over the skies of our enemies. In the end, I was disregarded and dismissed just as fast as I came in, finding myself kicked out after several heated disagreements with the Air Force's top brass. The experience wasn't for nothing, though, as many of the same principles and codes of conduct were recalled once again as I went through the police academy. 
After 26 long weeks of rigorous training, I ended up joining one of the most elite special operations groups in the country. The Special Tactics and Rescue Service, or STARS as they call it for short, was formed in collaboration with Raccoon City's Mayor Michael Warren and Raccoon City Police Department's Chief Brian Irons. The team is made up of those who hold various backgrounds from military to medical and everything in between. Each one of us was carefully selected for one reason or another, but in short, we are the best at what we do. We're definitely a rowdy bunch at times, but I have faith that we have the skills and conviction to see that justice is served and fears are laid to rest. We were divided up into two distinct squads, Alpha Team and Bravo Team, each with their own respective captain, which could be sent out either separately or together on missions as requested by the department. I was placed on the STARS Alpha Team alongside my friend Barry Burton and Officer Jill Valentine, Joseph Frost, Brad Vickers, and our team's captain, a tall man in black sunglasses named Albert Wesker. Our current mission, which has been dubbed by those in the STARS office and local raccoon times alike as the Cannibal Case, began around late June when the first incident of its kind occurred. We've been dealing with a string of mysterious disappearances and wickedly violent murder cases which has plagued Raccoon City for most of the summer now. The residents of this town are often too scared to speak when asked about it, while some try their best to ignore it, hoping that the lock they put on each night is enough to keep the monsters away. I just pray that we bring these killers to justice soon. The longer we wait to find them, the more bodies end up going missing, or in worst cases, found viciously murdered somewhere in Raccoon City in the dead of night. Alright, so we have arrived at the Chris Redfield special. We're gonna this is gonna be a hell of a thing. It's probably gonna be chaos. We're gonna be try try and get our points across concisely if we can, but as you all know, Chris Redfield is probably the character that has appeared the most in terms of Resident Evil games and media we will just be talking about game appearances for the most part games and you know officially licensed spin-off stuff so movies and uh, you know the stage uh, <laughs> but we couldn't talk about manga and stuff like that because we really would be here forever uh, so we've got about 11 entries to get through and to break up those uh, discussions we also of course have lore that takes us here and there as always supplied by the resident evil podcast.com specifically from uh, their encyclopedia section now so as always if you're looking for resident evil lore it's pretty much the place to go so shout out to those guys so before we get to our first chris appearance to discuss i have quite a bit of setup so please bear with me Chris was born and raised in New York alongside his younger sister Claire, but a tragic accident robbed them of both parents, leaving them as orphans. As the older sibling, Chris became deeply protective of his little sister, and this shaped his personality and strong beliefs in later years. He grew up a confident and intelligent young man, training as a pilot and choosing a career with the United States Air Force. It was during his Air Force days that he met and became friends with Barry Burton, and they remained close companions ever since. He also became acquainted with Forrest Speyer and Jill Valentine. But he was the type of man that valued human life over following orders, a stance not always in harmony with the military mindset. Chris slowly became disillusioned with life in the Air Force and was unable to reach a compromise with his superiors, so he chose early retirement and was honorably discharged in 1995, eventually leaving on good terms. He took time out and became a drifter and spent his days wandering from town to town trying to find a purpose in life. 
Chris was scouted for the newly formed stars on Barry's personal recommendations because of his superior firearms and hand-to-hand -hand combat skills, alongside proven qualifications as both fixed-wing air pilot and helicopter pilot. Before long, Chris was assigned to Alpha Team as their point man. In the summer of 1998, bizarre murders and strange disappearances had begun to occur on the outskirts of Raccoon City and surrounding Arclay Mountains. Eventually, the stars were assigned to investigate and Bravo Team went in first, only for all contact to be lost a short time later. On the night of July 24th, 1998, Chris and the rest of Star's Alpha team were dispatched to Raccoon Forest to look for their missing teammates, setting up, of course, the events of the original 1996 Resident Evil, where Chris is one of the playable characters, portrayed by Scott McCulloch uh, for the voice and Charlie Krislavsky for the live-action cutscenes. Uh, Sonny, as the guest, I'm going to open the floor to you first. What's your reaction? Do you remember your reaction to Chris at the time? Was it a character that you immediately felt drawn to? And what do you think about Chris's first appearance? Man, are, are you talking about... We're talking way back. Okay, so 96. Yep. <laughs> I, I was uh, like eight years old. Um, <laughs> I hadn't played the game, but my next door neighbor had it. And uh, it was my introduction to the series, watching the first game be played. And... Uh, I remember uh, first watching um, the intro, you know, the, that intro, that live action intro today is something that's embraced by the fandom as like, you know, like we embrace the charm of, of you know, the how cheesy or how like, you know, low budget it looks. Um, but at the time, you know, as an eight year old kid, I, I saw the, the censored version, by the way, I didn't even see the mm -hmm. uncensored version. And I was terrified, uh, you know, <laughs> especially the part where you heard the crunching noises when Joseph Frost was... Um, you know, being mauled by the Cerberus and stuff like that. So it was, it, it was definitely, uh, you know, quite an experience. Um, I remember seeing, um, you know, uh, Chris there and, uh, and right off the bat, um, he was like, kind of like the one taking the lead, you know, he was the one mm. narrating. Um, he mm. seemed like a hero, somebody to look up to, you know, Jill run for that house. Um, and, uh, and, and from there, uh, my first experience was mostly seeing Jill, but, the thing, the thing about Chris in that game, um, was always like, oh, he's he's got the harder scenario. He's got the harder scenario. He's got less inventory spaces, even though he's got more pockets, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but he he, uh, it's just it, it's it's tough. I'm trying to like go through my childhood to adult to differentiate <laughs> this because at first it was like he's a hero, um, you know, he's the toughest guy. He's he's like bulkier. He you know he could beat things up. Um, but, uh, at the same time to look at it, you know, as an adult, uh, the dialogue is like, you know, he seems like a, a doof, doesn't he? Like in, in this game, he, like the dialogue <laughs> the is like... The first note I have is that my favorite word to describe him is dopey. So yeah. 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 He's a bit, he's a bit like a jock more so. Yeah. Um, in, mm. in this one, we'll eventually, you know, get to the remake and stuff, but, um, yeah, you know, his, his character, he, he's very tough, obviously, uh, he could withstand damage more than Jill can. The 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 weird part of like you know not having the inventory uh, stuff is for gameplay balancing purposes, of course. But mm -hmm. um, just right off, like you know the the quality of the writing of the game and and the acting, um, you know it's it's outdated at this point. Uh, right. I can't I can't talk about it without like you know going into what what I view it upon as being improved with the remake, but. To go on a baseline level, um, he's very protective of, uh, you know, he meets up with Rebecca in the mansion, um, and he's very protective of her, very much like, you know, very much like looking after his sister Claire. 
Mm. Um, and uh, to draw that parallel, I thought I thought that was a, a nice touch because he probably sees Claire, you know, in Rebecca when he's when he's looking after her. Um, and then alone, he does a lot of things alone without, um, you know, without those extra, I guess, Barry moments that right. Jill gets. Yeah. Um, in her scenario, you know, there are times where Rebecca helps out, like, you know, it could be curing the poison with the snake or, or making the V jolt for plant 42, but just some mm-hmm. of those basic things like the ceiling trap, you have to find the broken shotgun. So you're, Chris is very much having to, uh, rely on himself to get, to get through, um, you know, his scenario. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, and I thought even as a, as a young kid, uh, that that was like very heroic, um, something to look up to. Um, and, uh, and, you know, yeah, I, I just, um, he's been one of my heroes ever since. So, you know, we'll we'll definitely get into detail more with the, uh, the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, very good points. I think I hadn't necessarily thought about the fact that, as you say, he does the voiceover at the beginning. So it instantly puts him out there as the protagonist, the hero. Um, and the fact that, yeah, he does spend a lot of the game by himself. Something that I always liked about, and this is more, I guess, speaking about the game overall, maybe more than Chris, but but the fact they put Chris on equal footing, like in Jill's scenario, he can be saved by Jill. He's, he's you know, she's the damsel in distress or whatever in one scenario, but also the other way around. He's whatever the male equivalent of that is as well, which is nice. Same thing with Rebecca. Obviously, as you said, he feels the need to be protective of her and, you know, why wouldn't he be considering the situation that she's in as a young woman? Um, very much out of her depth and that comes across in her character but vice versa she also gets to save him so he's never put on this pedestal of like he's the ultimate unstoppable being uh which is you know that's why i definitely say in his defense he's not like a big macho stereotype the box art character debatably not chris not chris whatever (laughs) but the guy on the box art has this big macho guy with gigantic gun energy. Nobody in the game has that. Nobody in the game is that guy. Not even Chris, who's the playable main character. You'd think if anybody would embody that trope in the 90s video game and movie space, it would be the male protagonist. But no, he's just like a real... He's a human guy. He's a flawed man, and he's kind of a dope. Uh, and he finds himself in this situation where, yeah, he has to take charge of the situation because there's not really anyone else around him on his scenario um, in the same way where Jill and Barry get to work more like a team. Not that I'm saying that he and Rebecca don't, but it, it, it feels very separate. Um, Steve, how do you feel about RE196, Chris? Uh, this is a hard one. You know, Jill gets more item space and more guns. No, honestly, <laughs> I... I have a lot of love for RE1 Chris, like OG Chris, because he's got that weird mix of anime dude bro and also is just a straight out-and-out hero. Mm. You know, it's, it's like, what if Yamcha from Dragon Ball but didn't suck and was a cop? That, that's probably a very niche <laughs> reference, but, you know, is cool, acts cool, but also a bit of a goofball. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I think what everyone said has been pretty much on the money. Like, you know... To me, though, he doesn't feel like a cop. He's just a guy who's there with his with his team yeah. who th- disappear. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have a police officer vibe so much as a generic hero guy. Like, whoa, let's go fight some monsters. <laughs> um, only without ever actually saying those words, you know. Something. It's it, it's it's. it's go on, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, just a thing I wanted to point out when we were drawing the comparisons of uh, you know who saves who and uh, and stuff like that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we get a moment. Um, in RE1, I'm, I'm trying to really think back, like, where, where Jill, like, legit saves 
Barry. Like, there's a Barry moment with Chris where he saves Rebecca from that hunter. Like, that's the moment, mm-hmm. like, you know, as Chris, like, you know, that it's, it's like his Barry, you know, saving Jill, but for Rebecca moment. I'm trying to remember if there's, uh, like, a Jill moment that you get in that game. So that, that might be one little aspect that you could... Um, it it de- determines whether Rebecca lives or dies, you know. Um, yeah. I don't... You know, you've got a choice-based system in Jill's, in Jill's where, like, you know, Barry could live or die, but I don't think it's in, it's a, a heat of the moment, sort of like you got to save him, mm. um, you know. Uh, so so that that's something that that they kind of, like, you know, made distinct uh, in, in the game um, with that. And, and yeah, I, I agree with Steve. He doesn't, and, and you as well, Sai, he doesn't have, like, that, like, that super, like, you know, like, uh, I guess, like, maybe, like, 80s, like, Rambo or... Uh, Absolutely, or, um, yeah. Or, yeah. or Dutch, you know, uh, uh, predator, uh, you know, type uh, macho vibe uh, that the cover character does. Not Chris, possibly Richard, maybe not Richard, whoever the hell it's right. supposed to be. Yeah, Judge Dredd, um, that's who it's supposed to be. It's Judge Dredd, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, yeah, no, he, uh, he, he doesn't have that vibe. He, um, If I were to say that he had an, any vibe, because I honestly, it's, it's just my... It's my personal deduction at this point, you know, between uh, the first three original games, taking elements from like the '80s and the '90s action style stuff. I, I think he probably is is close to uh, kind of like Jack Traven from Speed, sort of like a mm-hmm. no, like mo- a more normal cop, just trying to like you know uh, deal with the the situation. But he's not overly, um, you know. There are some like you know stretchy uh, elements in that movie. I'll I'll, I'll admit, but. It doesn't seem uh, way too far far fetched. Like he's not like you know like laying waste to everything with a machine gun or right. You, you know uh, and and, bl- and just blowing shit up except for like you know at the end with the main uh, boss. But mm-hmm. it it's, it seems like there's a, a sense of disadvantage. He's not taking he's not necessarily taking care of everything with ease, but he is very capable of himself. And then he's and then at the same time he's just like oh yeah we got to the root of the problem you know like. Ugh. I'm a dope, <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. It, it's, it, it Let is. Let me play nice guy. It, Go first, Jill. Yeah, it's so um, hard. It's almost like you got to dumb down the, the conversation for Ari for Ari <laughs> uh, for Ari ninety six because we get the the more I guess more streamlined version with the remake. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. It's hard to distinguish sometimes. But yeah, Indeed. there you go. Steve, any more thoughts on 96 before we do remove, move on to the remake version? Scott McCulloch's voice, like, he does a lot of other PS1 stuff, and uh, unfortunately he will always be, that's Chris Redfield, that is, even when it's like Rick to Belmont, yeah. Symphony of the Night. That's that's how attached that voice is to that character. It's, it's weird, because I know we're all, like, glazing over it in the writing, but he has, a, he has a weird charm he doesn't have with the other variants in that he's a bit goofier. Like, you know, the, the, leaning into the, the, the crap puns, and maybe it's the anime haircut and character art, but he just feels like a lot more younger dude bro than every other version. Mm. And we don't ever have that kind of character again until arguably remake three with Carlos. Yeah, uh, interesting. So I think yeah. It's, as a standout charm for me, there, like you know, that that like, that gives me a little bit more love for, remake, mm. for OG Chris that a lot of people give him credit for because he's a bit more standout than his future counterparts for different reasons. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree with that. Um, I think that, for the most part, the 2002 performance of Chris by Joe White, uh, it kept a lot of Chris's OG personality intact. He's no more a superhero than he was back then. 
okay mm. he's a bit more handsome um but really he is just like this soft and gentle and unassuming kind of guy and joe does all of that wonderfully as we all know yeah um, great performances chris but if it's missing anything it's missing kind of like a bit of the silliness and maybe that wouldn't work because tonally remake is you know a bit more serious and very dark and drab in places um you know obviously they toned all of barry's ridiculous right now right down i mean he still makes some crap jokes but they're a bit more realistically uh said by an actual human being um <laughs> yeah yeah i i I'm, I'm no i'm no stranger um well if you know me well enough um i'm very passionate about how i think that uh, the remake cast for those characters are the best versions, mm-hmm. um, like ensemble. Like I think that they they all have the right type of voice without be- go- veering uh, too far off into like a stereotype or or some type of um, like quirk. Uh, yes, if that makes agreed. sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's that's always been my viewpoint uh, with with the the cast of of uh, you know those characters. Like Barry has. So what I still consider a Barry voice. It's just mm-hmm. not as heavily like, oh yeah, I'm a dude with a beard and a big gun. Yeah, look at me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's stuff. <laughs> he has yes. like still like sort of like that that voice where it's like, oh yeah, this this guy. You know, he he. You could you could tell that he's probably a dad. He's, he's a family man, and you know, but he could still mess you up pretty bad. Like he knows, you know, he knows his stuff, and and don't get between him and. And uh, you know the buddy system and stuff like that, <laughs> the forty-four Magnum. So yeah. I agree. In the same uh, certainly yeah. goes for Chris as well. Even though they've toned away certain parts of his personality, you can tell that it's it's yeah, it's Chris. That's Chris Redfield. Um, yeah, this is a really good Chris performance for me because again, he just feels like a realistic man. Like in the ninety-six version, he seems like a a real person rather than again, he's not. Um, it, he could have been a macho stereotype this time as well, and they just gladly avoided that. My only downside to this is I don't necessarily see this version of Chris Redfield as the guy who goes against his Air Force superiors and goes back to the RPD afterwards and punches a guy. He's brave and he's <laughs> headstrong, certainly, but I don't see him being that. I don't know what the word is for it. But yeah, it feels a bit more by the book. Yes, like I'd good say cop so. As opposed yeah. to roguish drifter cop. I think one. Um, of, I think one of the flaws of remake, I, I think, is that the characters. Um, like the writing, it seems to be like they've really toned it down, uh, you know, from being quirky um, and and sort of over the top. But it might it might come off as a little flat because of that. Like they don't really like. Right. I mean, Chris, Chris, you know, in the lab sequence, uh, Joe, you know, does shout at Wesker, like you know, calls him absolutely like, like, you son of a, bitch, you know, like like you get maybe like a little taste of like what that Air Force against the superiors would be, but. You don't get enough of that, like you said, um, and I think it's because a lot of uh, the writing, I think, maybe was a little too toned down, uh, mm-hmm. to, to sort of like uh, let's be subtle, let's be more realistic, mm-hmm. um, and they could have they could have had a little bit uh, more um, energy uh, to certain situations uh, in that game. So that's that's definitely something that I noticed. But yeah, to, for Chris and, and you know what you were saying about him being more human. Be more like a like like a, someone who's just living on this earth, you know, uh, doing the job. Joe White, who voiced him, uh, was on the Crimson and Elder podcast, and he that's exactly what his complete like objective and intention was was to make him yeah. like just a regular guy, like a human being, you know, who's doing his job. Um, and I think that he did that perfectly. He to me, like I said, he's still the perfect Chris Redfield voice. Um, 
sadly we never got to hear him again in the series you know in Mm -hmm. any other subsequent entry but i would have loved to have seen what his journey would have been personally so so joe is my Mm -hmm. favorite voice for chris uh that's absolutely go ahead steve i just want to touch on like um his relationship with particularly rebecca in between this and 96 like in in 96 chris and rebecca feel like little little uh, little sister and just a little bit older brother Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, this seems like a much older brother kind of vibe, mm-hmm. um, but they have such a um, there's some there's, there's some scenes in this that I think bring out you know we're all like saying it's an understated, more naturalistic performance, but I feel like there are some points. I mean, maybe it's uh, having lived through grief and had to deal with people grieving. Like a few scenes with Chris and Rebecca in this stand out a hell of a lot for me in terms of character performance for Joe. Mm, yeah, um, like um, the one where he has to deliver the news that Richard has basically copped it and. Uh, she breaks and he has to comfort her, I think is a pretty damn solid work in terms of being a actual character who we're meant to care about, mm. uh, you know, delivering lines and stuff. It's, it's more interesting than like say, you know, oh, Chris, uh, we got to the root of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, no, I, that's, I, that stuff's, we don't get a lot of it, but that stuff in remake is probably what makes remake Chris stand out a bit more yeah. than some, or again, there is other variants. I'm trying to talk about them in their own life. In my in my head, they've all got their own little pigeonholes. Like this is action hero Chris, and this is like nineties Chris. Mm. Yeah, but, remake Chris's best Chris, but that, that's, that's that's a story for a bit later. <laughs> um, I I, no, I I think it's great to point that out because you know that that um that that goes to the core of his character. I mean, he's deeply protective of his younger sister Claire, and this would this at uh, you know that scene where he has to tell you know Rebecca that Richard's dead and she breaks and he has to comfort her. I mean. This showcases how you know how he'd be able to to handle that because um, he's done it before. Mm. He has a younger sister that he looks after, and, and you know he would need to know how to how to comfort her. Um, he would have to be uh, essentially you know the, the the older brother, the the uh, somewhat surrogate parent. I would say mm. since they both lost their parents at a young age. Um, mm. So I thought I thought it was I thought it was wonderfully done. Like you said, uh, you know when he, when he gets to have that moment with her. Um, and uh, and he's and you know that's the thing too. It's like Rebecca is constantly you could tell in this game trying to do right by her team. Knows that she's out of her depth, but wants to you know wants to be of service. And and Chris is constantly encouraging her, um, you know, throughout uh, trying trying to be uh, sort of like that that he's just like a natural. He is a natural like a leader, like someone who's determined, and he would elevate others around him. That's yes. the vibe that I get. From, yes. from him, you know. Yeah, so. you definitely get leadership qualities out of him in this game. Uh, yeah, with the Rebecca situation, especially like he he gets into that situation and immediately realizes he has to take charge and takes to it expertly because that's what he's been doing all of his life. That's part of his part of his personality that he goes right. Okay, I'm going to look after these people and nothing's going to go wrong. And obviously, that kind of informs a lot about what we're allowed, you know, going to talk about over the rest of this podcast. But this is really. Over the 96th version, you see that a lot more here, obviously, because they are more realistically written and performed characters. And again, Sonny, just to back up your point, like the thing with Wesker at the end, yeah, great. Like, it's fantastic. I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more frustration throughout the game, but getting that (laughs) moment at the end, that's where he gets the most animated. Like, everybody loves the meme, the Joker meme about 96 Resident Evil. It's the ultimate life form and you're laughing. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) But in Remake, as you say, he just, he kind of loses it with Wesker. 
that really sets up obviously the rest of their relationship moving forward which is yeah yeah a fantastic way to cap off his playthrough yeah it it's um I agree with you. I, you know, there there are fans out there right now that you know they, with the with the way that the games are written now with character moments, um, you know, like uh, I guess I guess you could say it was starting with maybe could be as far back as Revelations two, maybe, but seven, re two r re three r village, like all the, the way that the character moments have have come such a long way. There are fans out there right now, um, and I think it's dangerous. Uh, to to want, but um, <laughs> they they would not mind seeing another remake of Resident Evil One, yeah, uh, with the writing style for the characters that have you know recently that that has recently come into the series where where they have more moments together where they could have more chemistry, uh, perform mm. you know uh, with each other, interact with each other, which also. Could, you know the the actors get to do that with the mocapping and stuff like that. This was not the case with this remake. They it was the same classic deal where they had to you know say their lines in a in a booth. There it was separate. So the mm-hmm. fact that you get the performance that you get in this remake, you know, at all is incredible considering that yeah. they weren't you know playing off of each other whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I, I I would have loved to have seen uh, a little bit you know a little bit more. It has it has that. That disadvantage, unfortunately, um, of, of being uh, in, a, in a time where video game writing um, wasn't as uh, you know evolved as it is today. It wasn't as cinematic the way that movie, yeah. movies and TV are. It, it's funny you say, and we're speaking of it being more sophisticated. Like I kind of, I kind of really want to see what someone would do if they took Chris's OG '90s bio of like the, the former Air Force pilot becomes drifter renegade, then becomes a cop, and somehow distills that into what is a cop meant to sound like from that kind of mm. background? Mm. Yeah, like because surely Chris is a complete wise ass, like a, a like a, a, I'm not saying snarky do bro in, in every aspect, but. I, I don't seem quite as straight-laced as Joe puts him in the remake or the writing and direction the remake put, puts to him. I kind of really want to see what, like, for example, what Joe would have done if, like, yeah, you need to be a bit of a prick um, in, the, in a likable way. Yeah, well, the, but, you know, I get yeah. Well, I, I think um, I think it actually, honestly, um, you know, I, I, in a sense, I have to respectfully disagree because the thing is, is that he's with his team. They're in this situation He's, you know, one of his qualities is, I, you probably mentioned it um, in the opening, uh, he values uh, human life over, over like, following orders and, and mm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the military ask. So, so he obviously cares about people. And, and these are his, like, you know, essentially, these are his partners, but also they probably became somewhat of a family at this point. Um, you know, the, you know uh, working together, you know, for what, it would be, like, over a year to... Maybe yeah. a year and a half or something like that. Yeah, a few years, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I this the smart the smart alecky stuff to to me with it you know with his the way that he's determined and his and his personality being so like like stubborn and headstrong and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know if I would see it on the job. I would see him turning into a total like you know wise ass like where he's. You know, going going off and like you know going out drinking with Forrest and Joseph or something <laughs> at like you know the, the the blackjack bar, Jay's bar or whatever. Um, but I don't know uh, so much on the job if he would I think, do that. 
Yeah. We, so you're thinking on mission, he's totally focused the entire time. Well, I guess uh, yeah. somewhere between is it Robbie Amell's performance in uh, Welcome to Raccoon City, where they're kind of mm. joking around and being a jackass, and yeah. then when things get serious, um, he gets serious. I agree with that. Like it's a shame yeah. because obviously Resident Evil is a series. We're not really going to get to see those scenes with the guys who are just like hanging out and drinking at the bar or whatever and playing pranks and all the stuff that they apparently did because it doesn't really serve the story of the games. This is a horror game. Uh, it's nice that mm. we know that exists, but yeah, it's a shame because we won't get to see that side of his personality. Because Sonny, I can certainly see where you're coming from. Yeah, and and mm. I think there's also, um, I think that's actually a quality of Forrest Bear as well. I think they say that he's a consummate, like in his profile, he's a consummate professional. Yeah. Um, you know, so so I could see him probably as soon as he's got to go to work, he turns it right on. But as soon as he's off of work, probably like the jokes fly out. You know. And and he just has a fun time, you know. Mm-hmm. I I can imagine mm-hmm. that. I'm not saying it's like you know it's written down, you know, set in stone. But I think Chris and him could probably share share that because they're also they're they're buddies. They compete for the the uh, this the marksman contest and stuff right. like that. You know, I could just see those similar things happening. This is all my imagination running, of course, but that's how I <laughs> yeah, do we're, it. We're getting into headcanon territory, and we've got a lot more to cover. So yep. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Uh, following the incident, Chris spent the next several weeks trying to convince the RPD to launch an investigation into Umbrella, but his progress was hampered thanks to the efforts of Chief Irons, who was secretly on Umbrella's payroll. The corporation's powerful sway in the city ensured the authorities were not interested. Frustrated, he began erat- acting erratically to put on purpose to get himself suspended, believing that if no one took his action seriously he could move around more freely and not be monitored so closely by irons later with Jill opting to remain in raccoon city to investigate umbrella's operations and barry flying his family over to canada chris left america and traveled to europe to investigate umbrella's main headquarters he knew that taking on such a, lo- a large corporate entity alone would not be easy and could prove fatal but in the end he was left with no other choice he decided not to tell claire about the trip to keep her out of harm's way but ironically his sudden lack of contact is what drew her to raccoon city one month later to look for him when the rival company attacked Rockford Island later that year and caused a biohazard, a captured Claire escaped during the chaos and was able to access a computer and email Leon the coordinates of the island. Leon immediately passed these on to Chris, who then asked him to organise a rescue mission before setting off alone to find her. He chartered a small boat and set off wearing a new prototype Stars uniform that he was originally asked to trial as a mark of respect to his fallen teammates. Of course, this takes us to Resident Evil Code Veronica, Chris being the second playable character that kind of switches to about two-thirds of the way through the game, as portrayed by Michael Philipowicz Philipowicz in his only performance as Chris. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about Code Veronica, Chris? Can we just take a moment and appreciate perhaps one of the most badass opening introductions to a character? Hell like, yes, <laughs> yes. This is where this is where you know Chris is the hero of the series. Yes, like, like yeah, truly yeah, yeah. the hero yeah. of the series. Yeah, it's it's he's been missing in action for three games. You know, technically, you know, two, three, Survivor. Yeah, sure. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he comes back. And not only is he coming back, he's come back with a massive sweeping dur, 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 military march theme, <laughs> and he's climbing a mountain with a backpack full of guns. Like this is some this is some doom guy of 2016 era level madness we've got going. Oh, he's yeah. dropped the bag, and he's, well, and he's, but he still looks cool. Yeah, like, he still looks cool. And he's a man but, on a mission to rescue his sister. There you yeah. go. Yeah. This, here's, here's the crazy part though after that moment which is a fantastic moment right he's probably the, the sanest person in an insane game like I feel like he's the, <laughs> yeah. he's the 90s cartoon character in an anime like every, he's an American cartoon character in an anime for a better term mm. he's, he's 
a little bit saner than everyone else feels around him. Uh, it's, it's almost like he's an anchor for it, because I feel like, as a result, he's a little bit not extra enough until a certain showdown, which may or may not characterise the entirety of his next future uh, bodybuilding kind of things. <laughs> uh, like that, the, 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 yeah, his interactions with Wesker in this, especially the first reveal, like, you know, you're still alive? It's that, that kind of level of crazy, crazy shock and general rage. Is is pretty good, and the, the 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 actual showdown. I think like you know, everyone was like I'm buying Code Veronica X just for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I love that uh, sort of metaphor of like the American cartoon character in an anime. That's perfect. Yeah, it is. that is perfect. <laughs> I despite agree. Look, though, despite um, looking and totally sounding anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. I think, uh, if I'm honest, this might well be the most boring Chris. He's totally functional, but he doesn't have loads to do. When he does have something to do, the scenes with Claire are really nice. And the Wesker bit, as you as you mentioned, that is the best bit. And again, this is where you get some of Chris's rage again. And, and you actually see a bit more of this now, especially because of Code Veronica X, where you have this face-off between Chris and Wesker and... You know, I I really love that he gets his ass kicked in this to set up the future. It was it's like a painful nine year wait from this point to Resident Evil Five, but I'm really glad they didn't have Chris versus Wesker at the end of this game just tagged on and it's over. The fact yeah. they actually use this to build something up's great. So it actually this game, whilst I feel like the Chris stuff is a little bit like it's a little bit understated. Right at the end there, it's it's really good setup for the future. So I'll give it that much. For the voice, not massively keen. I, I, it's 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 serviceable. It's fine. If I think about it too much, he sounds a little bit like a teenager to me, which I'm not massively keen on. But otherwise, there you go. Uh, Sonny, how do you feel about Code Veronica, Chris? It's, I'm conflicted because he's a he's a hero through and through. I mean, he's the character that's going to come in and save the day, right? Like you know, Claire Claire's the one. She feels more central to the to the game in terms of you know what's going on. Um, but she's in a predicament and needs rescuing. Uh, she's in trouble. You know, she's got Steve there. They're both trying to get out. But Chris is going to come in. He's going to be the hero. So that that you know, to me, seeing that after RE one um, and being uh, God, what was I? I was probably like twelve at this point, or like mm-hmm. you know, some or thirteen by Code Veronica X. It, it was still something to look up to. It was still inspirational. You know, he was still my hero. Um, and I, and I'll even get to the very very end uh, to really capitalize on on. Um, on that in just a moment, but uh, yeah, it's being able to play as him throughout the game. Um, you know, you could tell the difference. He's, he he gets uh, he handles things you know um, more capably than Claire does. Uh, he gets more of an arsenal, I would say, than Claire does, like a more powerhouse of an arsenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when it comes to rescuing Claire and and having to. You know he's he's right on it like he's he's warm you know to her and and he's like you know it's great to see you you know like like that but then his other his instinct kicks in he's like you know we got to get out of here you know uh, you know we can't stay here it's, it's dangerous you know let's go stuff like that so he's showing all of his qualities here and then even when Claire says um you know that that she got captured with somebody else he was willing to to still stay to find Steve as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he again values human life over, like you know, the the mission or the job or, or himself, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So he was willing to actually find Steve and rescue him, as you know, get them both out of there. Um, but then, of course, he's got to deal with Wesker on the on the other hand, and uh, that reunion, that first scene, um, 
you know, like like you said, he's he's got the uh, Wesker still alive. You know, like it's, it's so over the top. Like I, I can't say that I that I enjoy the um, uh, the anime uh, voice. Uh, it it, so- it sounds like he could be kind of like um, like maybe like a like a more well put together Brock from Pokemon or something <laughs> like that type of eighties. Like yeah, yeah, you know, like let's uh, we yeah. we got to go do whatever, you know, like stuff like that. It's, so. I'm not a fan of that that type of voice. Um, you know, no no uh, no offense to to Michael on that, um, but it was jarring to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But to see him go up against Wesker after this, and to and to build on the rivalry uh, that they would eventually, you know, uh, uh, do down the line and conclude down the line, I thought it was great. I thought it was great to connect it back to Ari one. Um, and uh, and to build upon that uh, because the, the character connection stuff is something that I always was a fan of with the series. I thought I thought it always stood out even way back, you know, like late '90s, early 2000s for for these games to start having these character moments to to build upon with these sequels. Mm-hmm. And um, and the the Code Veronica X scene at the end uh, where he fights Wesker, he yeah he gets his freaking ass kicked. But he he's just he won't stop. He won't yeah. give up. And there's one word, you know, it, it went around the fandom for the longest time, and I share that word, determination. He's definitely, without a doubt, likely the most determined character in the entire series. And you know, and we'll get to it in RE Five. He even directly like you know addresses this. Um, but he's just so determined to not give up, and I think that's something that you really. You really, uh, it's Code Veronica first showcases that more so than I would say like RE One or Remake does, um, mm. in a in a in a story sense and in a, in a character sense. Um, not so much like you know the gameplay is like you, you never give up. You have to you have to get through it. But in a story sense, um, you see that he's not giving up, and he's determined. You know, Wesker's like just slapping him around. You know, and and a slap from Wesker is like you know probably almost like getting hit with like a rock or a brick or something. Right. Um, at this point, since so he's the man blocks human. a steel bar exactly. with no effort, takes him six punches to the face, ain't no small feat. Chris has got a jaw still on. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So so it's uh, the fact he the fact that he can stand up to the villain and the fa- and the fact that they brought um you know his his unwavering value for like you know he, you know human life and and caring about other people. Uh, he says that line to Wesker. He he says, uh, "God, what is it about the stars members?" He says, "I'll end this once and for all. Say hello to my comrades who you've killed." Yes, mm. yeah. you know. So yeah. so he's he. It's just those are just like the qualities that I that I look for like in an inspirational like you know uh, a hero or mm. or you know something to look up to. Um, at the very end. Uh, when after he you know has his little running with Wesker, this is something that that I've brought up occasionally. You guys might not have, um, well, uh, the two of you might not have uh, heard about that. Um, he does, uh, you know, he's escaping in the elevator. Everything's exploding around him. It's a very heroic scene, and uh, then the elevator opens up, and basically the explosion, like he jumps, like like what, like twenty to thirty feet onto the fighter jet. Mm. Um, and then you know, no ribcage left. Yeah, Chubby jibs. Yeah. <laughs> so so he he does that, 
he he does that, and uh, you know, then he has that little line like, "Hey, you know, I always keep my promises." And I just thought it was a little, I thought it was charming, you know, to have that moment with Claire. Um, but but the idea that he at that point, um, this is what two thousand two thousand one between the two releases, right? Mm-hmm. We're not even into RE four territory yet, where like the action's really gonna really right. gonna get amped up. For me, at that time, in that you know, before pre RE four whatever, to see him make a jump like that, I'm like. There's no guy who could do that but Chris Redfield. <laughs> and then, of course, RE4 comes out and you got Leon jumping out of second story windows like it's, you right. know, like it's just a regular day. You know? <laughs> it's just part of the job. We do this every day, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So that really just, you know, kind of like already got rid of that aspect. But at the time, I could always remember, uh, you know, seeing mm-hmm. Code Veronica and being like, yeah, there's no one who could do it but but Chris Redfield. Like, you know, he's mm-hmm. the, he's the guy. Um, so that that really caps off like you know my culmination of of what I think about him in that game. I think I, I feel a little bit bad now about necessarily describing him as the most boring Chris because you said a bunch of things there that actually I really appreciate like what they did for his character and staying true to who his character is and who, what they've been building him as. Like you say, he kind of went to this island to save Claire, and she goes, mm-hmm. "Oh, there's other, there's, other, there's this other person that needs our help." So that becomes priority number one now. Which stuff like that I really like. I think maybe as a Claire fan. Um, feel a little bit sour about the fact that he kind of overshadows her at the end because it's kind of her game and then suddenly it's not but that's that's a me thing like it is really nice that they get to have a, a like finally we see these two in a game together which again we haven't actually seen since in fact Veronica's the only time really so uh, that's that's nice and again just to heap praise on this game it is kind of like the intercool of the Wesker Chris rivalry, like again, just like shows how important Code Veronica is, because without these scenes at the end, like, they they explain what happens from here to Resident Evil Five. They explain why Chris bulks up and sort of like what his missions are and what he kind of works towards from here. So uh, I do appreciate all those things that it does for the series as part scenes. of Chris's personality and structure and goals. Beans. These. These scenes are so pivotal and so, like, we can all agree, like, they are important for Chris's arc from RE1 to this to 5, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are so important to his character that Dark Side Chronicles doesn't have them in. And that kind of really makes me mad. Agreed. Like, yeah. Like, I'm, Wesker's barely in that, the whole um, thing. Yeah, he just shows and, up smirking between some boxes, doesn't he, basically, right at the end. Whereas, the, the, you know, the, the pipe wrestling match explosion stuff that happens at the end of the thing, arguably the biggest stuff that happens there for the rest of the series building up, what building from, right? Mm. Infuriating. Um, yeah. Let's... Sorry, not to, no, no, not to go on a side run there, but... <laughs> I agree. Uh, let's, let's move on to a shorter one. I think we probably won't have a whole lot to say about this, but in 2003, Chris received an anonymous tip that Umbrella were working on a new, rumoured new POW in Russia, which led him and Jill to investigate an isolated village in the Caucasus region. This is Umbrella Chronicles, Umbrella's end scenario specifically. It is new canon content, so we will briefly touch on it, like we did when we uh, covered Jill earlier this year. Uh, Kevin Dorman playing Chris uh, for the first time and not the last time uh, Sonny how do you feel briefly about I mean I, I say briefly because there's not a lot to go on but how do you feel about Umbrella's end Chris <laughs> well Umbrella Chronicles as a whole we, we know we know what it is right it's a bunch of assets from like you know remake and an outbreak, outbreak and, yeah <laughs> and you know thrown into a game to kind of give us sort of a cliff notes version of like some retellings Leading up to this new scenario, Umbrella's End, where they they sort of give us like a 
like a, I guess a sort of end to yeah, Umbrella. Yeah. It does, still doesn't feel like the end game that we were all building up to. Um, what do you mean? A random scenario on a on-rail shooter doesn't feel like the end of a long story arc. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I thought it, one thought that Resident Evil would end in a rundown factory somewhere in Russia <laughs> with a character that has only appeared in that one game. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Boy. this game I feel like this game was a reaction to RE4 coming out and Umbrella being, you know, taken down by the stock market in the first minute and a half of of that game mm. uh, through Leon's narration. So I feel I feel like they felt the need, like RE5 was being developed. I uh, you know th- it was going to be like the end of Wesker um as as we come to find out. So they really did like a Wesker sort of uh an umbrella centric game to really I think bridge the gap between um Code Veronica and and 5 since RE4 really wasn't the one to do that. Um so when it comes to this, it was it was great. To, it, the game is still weird to me. Like I I have a weird nostalgia for this game, but it still almost doesn't feel real. Does that make sense to anybody else? <laughs> I don't know if it's the aesthetic of the game, the style of the game, even the soundtrack is a little out there. You know, with the yeah. remixes of like familiar themes. But to me, sometimes it feels like the, like the game is like a weird like dream. Um, yeah, but you get to see so much that you didn't get to see in the official titles. So, mm-hmm. I, I uh, the the scenario Umbrella's End, Chris is I would say Kevin Dorman's performance is very much a um a continuation of uh of Coveronica's type of uh, uh Chris. He sounds uh similar to Michael in a way. Mm-hmm. He's got sort of like that crisp voice. Like we'll just take out whatever they throw at us, you know, like that that type of yeah. voice. Uh, um, he's he's very you know he's heightened he's determined he's he's got like that flair to him uh, that I think started uh, with with Code Veronica and I thought it was great I I don't think the voice in particular like I said like the the type of voice is something that I would sub- subscribe to but I love the energy and like what his character was all about because he was all about like you know we're gonna take him out and that's what the attitude was at the end of Code Veronica so it was great to see that. Um, but really, uh, you know, if we're only talking about Umbrella's End here, it's great to see that he's do he's doing a mission with Jill as his partner. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, uh, I wish I, I wish we could have gotten more of that in the mainline games, which we really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a little bit, but they've got some interactions going on. It's not really the best writing. Uh, it's a lo- this is a low budget game, and then they kind of just face off against um, against Talos. Which is just a giant, huge. I don't know. Uh, it must be a mishmash of like every tyrant to like nemesis to whatever. <laughs> you know, like the the perfect the perfect uh, tyrant bioweapon soldier force of the entire series. He's, he's got um, you know organic stuff. He's got uh, mechanical stuff. He's got a giant rocket launcher. Whatever. So so Chris, uh, you know, and Jill overcome this, and it just. It, it further showcases that that really nothing's stopping you know if we're talking about Chris in particular nothing's stopping him nothing's getting in his way <laughs> everything they it, throw at him yeah they yeah. just can't get in his way I think it's fair like as you say it's, it's not a whole lot to go on here but it is nice to see him with Jill and, and a little bit of banter but there's again not much you can do with an unreal shooter particularly Kevin Dorman does fine I agree mm-hmm. with you it is very much a continuation of the Code Veronica 
Chris, uh, my only other note really is that it's nice to see remake Chris's face model in a unique outfit. I like the snow cup. Yeah. yeah it's the same with Jill. It's, it's cool that they get their own unique look for this one scenario. So, yeah. Uh, Steve, yeah. Jen, I, I, I feel like Chris is too confident. I feel like there is a. I mean, it's, it's a rail shooter personality and stuff. Everyone feels a little bit too. Oh, yeah, I can kick everything's ass, yeah, and yeah. it's it it doesn't help really. That uh, having Jill and Chris together throughout the entire game is a nice experience. Now and then banter with each other, you know. But it, it kind of it feels almost like they're not quite 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 true to char- true to character, which is weird because Patricia Jarlie as Jill is great. Five, she's just. Um, not the greatest in this, mm. and then you put Chris alongside, and they're both a bit too wise cracky for me. Like you know, I feel you know we just needed a bit. It's like RE One. Chris has come back, but this just <laughs> some some of the camp is lost, and it doesn't quite gel for me. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, could, yeah. and like everyone, it could have been I like a symptom. Said, like, oh yeah, it could have been like a symptom um, coming off of RE Four. You know, with, with Leon's yeah. one-liners and wise crack. Like I, I mean, I'm I'm just gonna say that you know from my perspective, seeing how the series has evolved. A lot of things over time. I I think that when the series started, there seemed to have been a lot of distinction between the characters. Um, even even if it wasn't the most in depth writing, it still seemed like the characters were were different from each other. And as the series sort yeah. of evolved, you know, into the action, um, you know, uh, side of things with four, five, six, and then even you know to this day, um, with with the like the remakes coming out and and some of the other stuff. I've really just I see characters bleeding into one another. I see them sharing traits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't see distinction. The, the, you know, the personalities sometimes come off eerily similar, and how they you know how they deal with things and how they react to things. Um, and I I think it kind of did start when things like took the action turn because once you start overpowering the characters. They're kind of going to end up, you know, being the same. They're going to just be the hero that comes in, cracks a one-liner, and kicks some ass and leave, you know. And does it? You it, know. it kind of feels like they have. It's almost like they know they're in a video game, in this one. Yeah, that makes yeah. I think, little sense. I do but, agree with you. Now, I think you said that's kind of like a victim of the fact that it is an on-rails shooter, so it's going to heighten that. But Sonny, obviously, you're certainly right with that. Where it's like, but this definitely quickened the pace because that's what you want out of an on-rails shooter. You know the occasional bit of dialogue, which usually becomes like a cheeky jab at something here or there. So it's, unfortunately, mm. it's going to happen, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, because you have a constant adrenaline rush, you know, kind of pushing yeah, you towards the next what, thing. Exactly, that's what the whole game is. So yeah, it's, it, it again, it's one of those things where it's it's kind of hard to rate it really because it's it, it's kind of like a totally different thing, really. But hey ho. Okay. Narratively, like uh, it's a shame that Chris and uh, Wesker don't really re- interact with this one, um, it, despite the fact that Wesker's basically playing them for patsies. Yeah, yeah. like to, to get the uh, is it the UMF zero zero one or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. the, the the Red Queen. He's basically using them to cause distraction so he can sneak in and steal it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that that's such a pivotal moment for Wesker's quote unquote arc, like he nicks all of Umbrella's secrets. Um, and Chris and him don't even really interact. I believe it's like a prequel novel or a prequel manga or something where they may or may not interact. Uh, but it's not actually in the game. It's uh, actually kind of infuriating a little yeah. bit, considering this is a big thing. And this is the setup before RE5 game. Right. So, yeah. and, and, the, and the Chronicles games seem to be the two games where it's like it's like the, the, the non-interaction with Chris and Wesker. Like you said, like Dark Side Chronicles... You, 
He does, they don't even interact in the Code Veronica scene, so that's even more of a departure when you when you take those into account. Mm. That they didn't mm. meet up. Like they're at the same exact facility again. Wesker's there, you know, at the uh, uh, the, the Russia lab, mm-hmm. um, doing his own thing. You know, uh, I believe the only time that Chris actually has one interaction with Sergey, um, and it's, it's, the only, it's only the intercom, and and Chris in, in perfect Chris Redfield faction. Another Umbrella Psycho. You know, like, <laughs> that's basically it. But then Wesker's there, and he personally deals with Sergei. But, yeah, they're, you know, while Chris and Jill take care of uh, uh, the bioweapon, Talos, Wesker takes care of the main villain, essentially, um, in Sergei, and they don't meet. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like Wesker steals the stuff, he gets out of there. And there's a scene uh, where Chris and Jill speak um, after the mission, and... Um, you know, they. I, th- I think they talk about doing like a large blow or something like that, and and uh, you know, th- this is this is this is a heavy hit. But and then Chris is like, he's still out there, mm-hmm. and they just look to the horizon, and that's kind of like it. And it's, I guess that's sort of like a like an on the um, nose kind of way of saying, yeah, RE five is coming. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. you know, I guess maybe that's what they wanted to go for. But yeah, it just seemed like uh, kind of. I don't know. Maybe they should have had at least one more interaction, but it might it have. Seems weird that it might have diminished it. In retrospect, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but at the time, it seems odd that they didn't do something at least. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It could just be a few stray gunshots and a meh meh meh, you know, right. or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. All right. Let's move a little bit forwards. Uh, the structure of the biohazard containment unit, who Chris and Jill were working for, uh, was applied to form the foundations of a new anti-bioterror organization working under the jurisdiction of the Global Pharmaceutical Consortium. And in 2004, Chris became one of the original 11 founding members of the Bioterrorism, Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, aka the BSAA. It was also around this time that Chris began intense work on his physical fitness, lifting weights and adding significantly to his overall muscle mass. His motivation for transforming his body was to prepare for an inevitable confrontation with the now superhuman Albert Wesker. In 2005, the BSAA began investigating reports of a possible revival of a terrorist organization called Il Veltro. By now, Chris was working with a new partner named Jessica Sharawat. Together, they were sent to investigate claims of a possible Veltro hideout in the icy mountains in Finland. This, of course, is the sort of side story section to Resident Evil Revelations. Chris being portrayed by Roger Craig Smith. Um, this is one of the instances here where we're kind of talking out of release order because we're doing things in a canonical fashion. So obviously this is Roger coming back to the role of Chris, not his first mm-hmm. rodeo. Uh, but it is Roger Craig Smith's Chris with a new hat. So that's something. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this one's, this one's pretty good, obviously, for uh, Smith's portrayal of Chris we obviously get deeper into that when we talk about Resident Evil 5 next uh, mm-hmm. by this point he feels very comfortable in the role and he sounds great like absolutely there's a lot of weird changes going on with Revelations obviously we talked about it a lot with the chill episode in particular um, mm-hmm. but Chris feels like Chris like he was a, he's a nice sturdy reliable thing in this game certainly um, from the way that he sounds and the way that his sort of story throughout the game and his interactions with other characters I feel sorry for Chris having to deal with Jessica throughout this game but <laughs> on the other end Every, spectrum, everyone right, feels sorry <laughs> right but I do love him like spurning her advances that's really funny to me uh, you know who really ships Chris and Jerica, J- Jessica you know this allows yeah. people to say nah he's rebuffing well, her because of Jill or whatever your preference is that he's queer or asexual whatever you want it is you know I know what my preference is but also it's <laughs> 
if anything else, it's just him going, I'm married to the job. Like, that's totally... It's Chris, yeah. so it's great. Like, uh, just, Steve, how do you feel about this? I'm trying to figure out what the ship name would even be. Sounds like a centipede. No thanks. Um, but, uh, generally, I actually think, like, aesthetically, I love the winter outfit. Yeah, it's so, great. It's just a side by side. Chris seems to just look great in the snow. Capcom. He, he just you can put him in the snow and it'll always work. Like, I, have, you know, I have to point. Thing. I have to point out something that is hilarious and jarring in retrospect to me about Chris's appearance in this game, timeline wise. Coming right off of Umbrella Chronicles, because as we know, you know from um, from remake to RE5, there's an 11 year gap, and you know Chris is, Chris still has his remake, you know, uh, uh, face structure, but they're you know it's it's aged, it's it's sort of been tweaked a bit, um, different hairstyle, but when you talk about having Umbrella's end in 2003 and then having um, revelations happening in 2005. <laughs> you go from the remake look right to essentially like the RE5 look two years later. Yeah, he it's, got it, swole and he got swole fast. He got swole he, fast. He saw Talos and saw how fast it got and how big it got and like, you know what? I'm having some of this. Where's <laughs> yeah. the gym? I'm smashing that bad boy. It's like, okay, all right, um, so we're just going right into, you know, <laughs> right into RE5, uh, Chris, uh, you know, like maybe Lost in Nightmares, Chris, uh, mm. you know, model. And I'm like, okay, yeah. So we're so so five years between remake and 2003. Not a damn change. Same haircut, same face, everything. Yeah. Two years later, bam. And then for another like what uh, four years after that, it'd be the same it's, for that as well. Chris, he got a new job, so he's like, I better reinvent myself. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, job maketh the man. Uh, I I I very much. Uh, it's very it's interesting, uh, Chris, with this game. Um, Rogers, uh, it's uh, he obviously came back to the role. Uh, this is this would be his second time after five, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, he he yeah. did this um, before, yeah, before six came out. Correct. That would be later in the year. Um, so, he, yeah, he's more he's more integrated into the role, if not a little bit, a little bit flat. Like like mm. like he just really sounds miserable in this game. Like like with, I, with I, everything. I was wondering about that. You know, um, because vocal direction. Um, yeah, the vocal direction really stripped everything. Like, like, yeah, like you were saying, like, even, especially. I mean, we, you know, I don't know how many times we got to go into it about Michelle Ruff being stripped of any emotion as Jill yeah. to be stoic. But, uh, but they probably did a similar thing with with Roger for Chris. He just, he's just kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like the mission, yeah. It's, it's just like okay. And then occasionally he'll have like sort of like a li- a lively line, like when Jessica, like you know, advances on him, like. Um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm cold or whatever. He's like, you should have worn your thermal underwear. You know, like he, like there's a little bit of energy that like spurts yeah. out every now and then, but mostly when he's just kind of talking or having a normal conversation, it just seems like it just doesn't like, I don't know. Chris sounds like he doesn't want to be there. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, Revelations one, Chris suffers from Chris bot 5,000 ism and with the occasional joke, yeah. which is a shame because it's very like Roger. You know, Roger Craig Smith does a lot of voice acting, and like he, he's known for doing, should we say, stuff like Captain America and like tie-in cartoons and stuff for kids. Mm-hmm. And this feels like a bit more Captain America, yeah, like a bit more generic hero guy than he is in his other iterations of Chris Redfield. Um, mm. Yeah, not not to discredit the game entirely. Like you know, I, I aesthetically, he looks amazing. Like you know, yeah. and it's not it's not Roger's fault that the voice direction is like, yeah, you are Chris Redfield five thousand. You will now walk here and. 
Jessica will flirt with you, but flirt with you to make it awkward, but you will not have any of it. Please make a joke. <laughs> I wonder if uh, it because you look at like Revelation's story and how complex it is, and the script for that game must have been something else because there's a lot of dialogue in it. Obviously, like millions oh, yeah. of cutscenes. I wonder if it was kind of maybe done, and I don't know this for a fact, but if it was done in a rush and everything was a little bit like, just get it done and move on because we've got a lot to get through here or what, but that could be a contributing factor because I agree, it, it, some of it's a little bit lifeless. Like you pointed out, the Thermal Underwear line's a great one where it's like, oh, you get a little bit of warmth every now and then and you go, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's Chris. It almost throws back to 96 Dopey Chris with lines like that. But like, yeah, otherwise you're right. It's the Revelations way of everyone's just a little bit flat, pretty much. Flat and yeah. all mysterious, as pretty much defines every character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the most energy that comes out of him, I think, is when he's trying to pull Parker up, right? Like trying to save Parker and, mm. and uh, it's, just not, it's just not working. And he's like, damn it! You know, like tr- trying to hold on and stuff like that. Like he, he gets like one of his famous, um, you know, Roger Craig Smith for me has... Like the like the famous uh, you know like uh, he's got a great shouting voice yeah. as as Chris uh, and and that comes out you know in that scene but everything else um, you know it, it's a stark contrast for the most part with the slight joke here and there um, you know it, it's it's strange Revelations is strange I don't know if they like you said maybe they rushed it I don't know maybe if it was viewed differently because for all of its crazy um, you know uh, uh, um, espionage esque writing and all these different things going on and triple crosses and double crosses and all this other betrayal, this all this crazy stuff going on. Maybe it still could have been viewed differently as a handheld game at mm-hmm. times during mm-hmm. development, maybe performance-wise. I, I have no idea. But th- there's still there seems to be a weird direction with this one being a little bit more toned down um, th- than, uh, than I guess. I guess you would say Code Veronica or, um, or Umbrella Chronicles. Um, this is a shame, right? Because the, yeah. the initial tease for Revelations one and five. Like, I'm sorry, it, five. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. You know, the, the initial tease for Revelations. I mean, obviously, it didn't come to pass. But the whole like there is a fake Chris and there is potentially an evil Chris, like Chris versus Jill. Mm-hmm. And instead, they both become like the anchor characters who you know aren't going to betray anybody. Um, everyone else is like, I don't want to say sauce. more interesting, but there's like intrigue around every other character. Yeah. That's a symptom mm. I feel happens with a lot with a lot of the games. Honestly, I guess so because they're like, just like established at this point. So it's just like, yeah. well, the plot demands that everyone else be a little bit weird and wacky, and they just kind of respond to that. So it is what have, it is. Have you have you noticed that pattern where like the legacy characters will be in the game, but the new characters are the ones? It's like it's like you're the legacy character as like the audience member, and you're along for the ride because the the new characters are the ones that typically have the story and all the stuff attached to them, and you mm-hmm. have to be taken along almost ignorantly to figure out you know it's, it's a way to give you sort of like a dis, like you know a disadvantage of, of being knowledgeable about the situation i think and uh mm-hmm. yeah chris and jill definitely uh uh suffer from that yeah in this game i would say yeah and i think even yeah. maybe even worse for chris because obviously this is jill is sort of the lead and he's the secondary character so he feels yeah. like he's got even less to do which is not a bad thing and I'm not saying oh you know this shouldn't be this way it's just again a symptom of the the story that it's telling it also feel, it feels like a mirror image to five it feels like um, you know where they kind of subdued Jill yeah. as, as a lead in that game they then brought her in to do this and then Chris was kind of I mean you still mm. play as Chris as you know like how many characters you play as like four or five or something like that but he's really just everybody's really kind of secondary to Jill for the most part she's the one with the primary 
through line where everybody else is kind of like, you know, uh, working alongside that. Uh, and Chris, you know, that goes for Chris as well. So it's, um, he's at this point, you know, uh, you would say as, as much of the fandom, uh, you know, criticizes, I think at this point where they say he's, he's just soldier boy, you know, he's, he's right. basically heading into just, just soldier boy territory that eventually, you know, would, would really take hold in six and, and seven and, and village and stuff like that. Mm. So, I, yeah. Pete, do you have any more thoughts on Revelations before we move on? I honestly feel like we're, we're paying it probably a bit too much lip service concerning the mammoth stuff we've got coming up. Fair uh, enough. No disrespect. As we said before, let's keep it bold and punchy and move along. 2006 rolls around. The BSAA received intelligence on the possible whereabouts of Umbrella's only remaining founder, Oswell E. Spencer. Hoping he could lead them to Wesker, Chris and, Jill, uh, Chris and Jill agreed to arrest him under orders from the BSAA's European branch. But, as if by fate, Wesker was already waiting for them and another battle ensued. Only this time it ended with tragedy, as Wesker gained the upper hand over Chris and was, Chris and was about to deliver the final blow when Jill tackled him and sent them both smashing through a window. By 2009, Chris was becoming burnt out and begun to wonder if his quest was really still worth fighting for. He'd also heard unsubstantiated rumours that Jill may still be alive. In March 2009, Chris took part in the BSAA operation at Kajuju in Africa to arrest a bioweapon smuggler named Ricardo Irving, who was selling new bioweapons to American, bios, American buyers. So, Resident Evil 5, this is a big one, certainly, as we said. Uh, we've mentioned it several times, so I guess that does really say how much of a linchpin it is, and it's the kind of conclusion of Chris's big story. Uh, Roger Craig Smith coming in for the first time to play Chris Redfield. Uh, Steve, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of Roger Craig Smith's performance as Chris in Resident Evil 5? Like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I, if um, it's the, it feels like, concerning the narrative that we know Chris has gone through, this feels like the, the, Chris, the way Chris should be is the way he's portrayed. I, it feels like he's not necessarily the perfect Chris, but he has the right tone and f- mood and a lot more complex than most Resi Park protagonists tend to be at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't normally start a big adventure horror game with a protagonist who sounds like they are depressed and broken. Um, and Chris, like, in that opening car journey where he's doubting himself and stuff, and he first meets Chevra and he's worried about her being a partner and stuff, it's great. And it all builds up and pays off. Like, I mean, even, I think we're probably going to bounce around on RE5 a lot but like he's just rescuing Jill and he's like he's not even sure if he needs to go after Wesker anymore he's done what he was needed to do mm. and he obviously does get pressured into being the hero but even then going from a broken man who is depressed about having lost someone he cared about and then having to go and face it and, re- and uh, eventually face it down and beat the living daylights out of him yeah it's pretty good Mm. <laughs> I agree yeah, like not only does this kind of like finish off an arc for Chris like as a game, Chris has a complete arc in this being this desensitized character to, you know, the never ending evils of bioterror, uh, driven by the fact now that he's lost his partner and best friend, and then coming around to the fact that he needs to keep fighting by the end of the game. And to that end, as you said, like, Chris gets a bit more flippant about things in certain parts of the game. Like, there's a section where he walks away from Chevra at first just to pursue his own goal, which at this point he realises is to find Jill and nothing else. Like, the BSAA kind of mission is over with, but he's like, well, this is my thing now. I need to go and do that alone. And Shiver's like, not having any of it, which is obviously great for her as a character. But, yeah, there's a lot to dig into with uh, with Chris. He goes so. renegade, doesn't he? Essentially, he does become what he was in the Air Force. He literally goes, you sod the mission, I'm still going to just see it through. 
Like, mm. yeah, uh, that's surprisingly on character, especially considering he's like he's off at this point. Yeah, for sure. Sonny, how do yeah, you feel yeah. about RE Five, Chris? I I think it's the I think it's the second best Chris in the series. Uh, I, I I think Roger is excellent. I think arguably, um, you know, he would be considered the best. He definitely had the most to work with uh, with his run as Chris between this and RE Six. Um, right. You know, uh, I I still have my personal uh, bias that I would have loved to have seen how Joe would have taken on this version of Chris, but since you know since we have uh, Roger. Um, yeah, he's he's my second favorite Chris, and I think the the evolution of the of the character he's he's worn out, he sounds a little deeper and, and grizzled, um, and I think it was just a, a, like a perfectly executed in that sense. Um, I've got conflicting um, opinions about how he is mentally versus physically <laughs> in this. Uh, I'm not sh- I'm not sure I'm a I'm a fan of the giant biceps. Um, look, I can understand why they why they're saying it story wise, but I still think it's maybe just a little bit too uh, over the top, kind of like how the action in the game is. Um, Sonny, you're like the, the the real Chris Buff here. Would you argue he's like as a little bit slimmed down, or is he about the same in Lost in Nightmares? Um, I th- I think that I think he's bigger in in Lost in Nightmares than he is in like remake, but I think he's a little bit smaller than he is in the in the base game. So him taking the not to go a bit cart for the horse, but him taking the beating he does again in um, Lost in Nightmares probably galvanized him to even pack on even more muscle. Yeah. Or- that, that's that's arguably a, a good you know a good point a good a good argument for that. Um, I think I think I'm just being a little uh, a little you know particular about the aesthetic of how uh, like like they gave him like you know like the tight shirt and everything like mm-hmm. they, it's just really like let's just showcase. That this dude is like about to almost break out of this shirt type of thing, you know what I mean? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I, if I, uh, you know, like that type of, um, you know, that style of, uh, of of doing that with the character. But that's just me, particularly. But no, no, I, I totally get it. I mean, even yeah. though the Hulk is green and Chris wears a green shirt, it doesn't mean he has to Hulk out. He could still be a normal <laughs> mortal man, right? Totally right, it. exactly. Um, but but um, but the performance itself and the writing for his character and and uh, the arc for his character largely. Is I, I think it's incredible. I think you know. I think um, it really culminates, you know, the journey that we've been on with him um, since the earlier days. Uh, you know, whether whether it be RE one or remake or you know, leading up to Code Veronica, mm-hmm. even Umbrella's End. Um, mm-hmm. Everything has come, you know, to this point. Do, do we do do we want to go into Lost and Nightmares first before the base game? Or let's, do you want yeah, to just kind of talk about? No, 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 it? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Why not? It's let's. It's all part of Resident Evil Five at the end of the day, so we might as well get into it now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lost and Nightmares. Uh, the only flaw it has, I wish it could be longer in its own game. Yeah, I right, thought it was yeah, amazing. For sure. I freaking love. This should have been the revelations we got. Yeah, this should have been. Yeah, yeah. The, the actual revelation. Um, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Spencer and, and Wesker and stuff. Great yeah, to see sure. uh, Chris and Jill partnered up again, um, especially in, in now like a, a mainline numbered title. Um, but yeah. again, it's brief, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to. to the fact that they're both on this mission, it feels familiar because it's another Spencer estate, one that is arguably the original that the one in America was modeled after. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's so central, you know, the this like they're going to basically, you know, confront Wesker. Or no, no, they're not going to confront Wesker. They're going to confront Spencer. Um, so 
I was like, oh man, Chris, you know, Chris is going to get to see like the guy be, you know, like he's like, it's like the Wizard of Oz essentially of this this series, the man behind the curtain who nobody saw. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, we're we're you know surprised that Wesker's there and has already killed the guy. Um, and I think uh, he's on a, he's a man on a mission. He's got a little bit of back and forth with 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 Jill. You know, they reminisce about you know like the old days with Raccoon City. Um, it's a little jarring because they've had uh, Terra Grigia, they've had other instances, but everything always goes back to Raccoon City. Um, I think it kind of fits though, because they're in you know a Spencer estate that looks just like the first mansion, and I don't think it's too. But there's like a large like you know sort of like commentary on like how come everything always goes back to Raccoon City if Terra Grigia was like three times as long and you know and and stuff like that. Um, we just don't care about artificial cities in the Resident Evil world. Yeah, <laughs> people apparently don't matter compared to Raccoon City citizens. Yeah, yeah no, no, but nothing matters but Raccoon City. Let's just keep talking about Raccoon City. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they have a back and forth. They get to. Um, he's obviously more serious at this point. It's Jill actually who, you know, I, I find her to be the one who's more level-headed, um, more, um, you know, more balanced in terms of. Uh, you know whether whether she would have to get emotional or like you know be professional, and here she's kind of like the one who's got more of like a like a warmer sort of even almost jokey disposition. Um, mm. Here, uh, there's there's the cut line of course you know about uh, about dating the girl from uh, what was it from um, it wasn't it it was Anything or something yeah it, it was it was some it was something like that. And you know, it's it's it gave Jill more actually more of a personality, something that I thought maybe Chris would initially have, but I think the transition of him being so hardened by his experiences, um, you know, and and taking a beating with, with certain things, and just he's he's like so determined to the point where maybe it's like the job is consumed, you know, consumed him um, at this point. So the, yeah. the trap, the ceiling trap. Actually, that happens, um, yeah, they have a different reaction. Uh, they, you know, Jill's line is like, "Man, you sure know how to keep a girl waiting." And Chris just says something like, "I think he just says something like, matter of fact, like, okay, let's go." I don't remember exactly what it is, but he's just there's like no joke, man. Like he's just he any any sort of like you know we you know we sure got to the root of that problem. It's like it's gone at this point. Yeah. Um, he's very very much about the job. And when we get to the last part um, with with uh, Wesker. I love that fight so freaking much. I mean, it went a little too far, like Matrix with Wesker. Like he's totally Neo and Mister Smith, like on high high octane compared mm-hmm. to Code Veronica. Like we've got the superhuman speed in Code Veronica, but this one, he's got the trench coat. He's like disappearing and reappearing, like where he, you know, where he ends up, and is it's like it's like uh, it's like uh, I plotted out, de- you know, destination disappear in a puff of smoke, appear at that destination. It's a, it's it's strange, but the fight itself. Seeing Chris try to go up against this guy again, knowing that he's probably going to get his ass kicked again, and he still does it. It's just the level of determination, the unwavering, you know, um, drive that he has. And uh, it was just great to see. It was great to see that. And then as soon as Jill and Wesker go out the um, the window, I mean, the way that he screams Jill's name, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. the guy doesn't like to fail. And and that's like arguably the closest person, one of the closest people in his life, um, that he just lost. So the, you could hear, you could feel the anguish when he when he calls her name out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the part, the performance is just excellent. I just yeah. I, lost in nightmares. It's basically flawless when it comes down to um, 
to everything and then for for chris as well i think that what you're saying about sort of the lack of joke and loss and nightmares that chris does a little bit less you know falling around jill is the foil to the straight man of chris isn't it yeah that's what it feels it's it, it actually sets up resident evil really fine because after jill is gone in his eyes uh that's when he really starts to sort of lose it a little bit and get just nails right down on the only thing that matters to him is work and kind of buries himself in that, which is obviously, mm-hmm. you know, not overly healthy. And I think Roger's performance as sort of like this gruffer, tougher Chris with, you know, tons of military experience, so perfectly well portrayed. And as you just said, he gets to play like a real range of emotions in this game is great. You know, screaming as Jill dies and then later on in the game, he basically just like breathes her name when he sees her for the first time being unhooded. The performance is pretty much flawless for me across Lost in Nightmares and the base game. It's fantastic. Um, and I really like how, much like the first game didn't fall into the trap of making him the super macho guy that we talked about, um, at this point it actually kind of works that he ha- is at this point because of his story arc. And instead, this game actively avoids... Chris being, funnily enough that you mentioned Roger Craig Smith playing Captain America, it kind of avoids him becoming Captain America in this game because there's obviously him mm. calling out at the beginning of the game being like, no, America's not a perfect place, which I really like as a detail as this kind of guy who takes everything with a pinch of salt and life is more important to him than anything else and who's had issues with the Air Force and authority and stuff like that. I like that he's not like Mr. America uh, it's mm-hmm. a really nice little note that they add in there as well, which is really really cool. Um, well, that was that was reserved for Leon. He became uh, Mister America. Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah, and <laughs> that, that government <laughs> lapdog. <laughs> yeah, but no. In all fairness, as much as you we were saying, like some of the characters kind of meld together. At least that's something that kind of separates them. Yeah, Leon works for the government, and Chris, at, you know, looks at his employers repeatedly and his country with uh, a little bit more suspicion. You know, holds them at bay a little bit. As we'll get sort of further into who who mm-hmm. he is and where his character goes uh, it's a bit solid snake he's good at the yeah. job it doesn't mean he likes the job yeah right. maybe, it's, like, maybe yeah. it's that a little bit yeah certainly well, I guess he's, we... well, he's got a yeah, he's got pro, you know he uh, he's talking to Sheva about it and he's like yeah, at one point he's like you ever feel like you're expendable you know mm. exactly I mean, despite I him being well. a founding yes uh, despite him being a founding member of the BSAA he's still at the mercy of whoever's in charge I mm. guess like they, they'll like... still throw him out you know, with it's everybody a fun, else. It's a fun line in retrospect now, isn't it, with the way the village goes as well. It's like, that's kind of interesting when you look back on that a little bit now. Um, I mean, yeah. that, 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 it always puzzles me how Chris, obviously, it, it may be a personal choice of his that we haven't really seen, but he's like he's part of a founding member of this organisation and yet he's still like doing the grunt work. He's doing the, the hard job. He's fighting the monsters rather than pay, pay, pencil pushing and advising. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to testament to his soldier character, I suppose. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far into the future of how, like you know, that may impact um, you know him as a leader with teams. We'll mm-hmm. get there eventually, um, mm-hmm. but but well, yeah, I think um, oh. I think uh, it's interesting. You know, like you said, like uh, he he doesn't. I still think he kind of becomes a superhero in this, and yes. there is yeah. actually. It it wasn't to my liking that he could just punch everything, especially a boulder. 
at the end of the game. <laughs> Maybe punching the enemies in the face. Okay, I'll you know I'll 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 buy into that. Even though it's like you could totally get infected if their teeth like you know cut your skin or something. But yeah. Whatever, whatever. Like you could have that I can little buy stretch. A man bulk club that much, you can punch your head off. Yeah, I could, I could buy that. Yeah, that that much <laughs> I could stretch my imagination for. But the, they, when they go full out with that boulder at the end, I'm like, oh my god. But the thing is also is that you know there are things in this game. You want to talk about hearkening back to OGRE one like Dopey Chris. He really like some of the things that like you know he says in this game really makes him come off like a meathead. <laughs> like, you may not know it at first, but he says, like, oh, I'm no superhero to Sheva when they're, like, on that hovercraft or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he he's like, hold on. And then he, like, launches off, like, a jump. <laughs> like, you, you know, like, they go airborne with that thing moments right after he says he's no superhero, but he does a superhero thing like that. And then... It's a little humble brag. He, he, he knows what he's doing. He's trying to show off. Like, yeah, I'm not that cool. Watch this. Check this out. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, there, in general, there are... Like, the performance is perfect, but some of the writing is jarring. Like, I, I, I can never, ever just... I heard this on the REP podcast, uh you know, a while back, and I think it was Star's Tyrant who brought it up. The fact that the, his whole reason for taking this mission is basically uh, that he got, like, an anonymous tip or something like that. He got wind somehow that Jill might still be alive. He's been looking for her for three years between this and Lost and Nightmares, like, taking every job possible uh, to, to see if she's still alive. His, his you know, drive to for her to still be, you know, to, to have, for her heart to still be beating just never left his mind. So the fact that, you know, it go it goes to a scene within the game where he's in the elevator with Sheva and he hears Excella and Wesker talking on, on the radio. Like, it just, it kind of, like, just, like, you know, bleeds into their uh, channel, I guess, or something. And he says something like, Wesker, I thought he was dead. And I'm like, well, if you think Jill is alive this whole time, you really don't suspect that, like, you know, the one who's, like, superhuman... <laughs> you know, with with a larger vitality, like you don't think that maybe he'd still be walking around too. It's it's just it it's a little lot. strange. You know, it says a lot for a game that's as extra and as out there as RE Five. That it's not like slamming his fist into the side of the elevator and like prop having a tirade over it. I mean, it's <laughs> like just a just oh, shit, Wesker is still alive. You know, you can just hear the facepalm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, it's just like oh, oh, I, I, I guess that's happening again. It's, yeah, it just seems like yeah, one yeah. of those moments where it's like they just wrote it in. And he's just, he's just, yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, I guess Wesker's still alive. All right. <laughs> That's like just a quiet, just a, ah, oh, Yeah. Shit. And then he's like, and, and then we get to the climax, you know, where, where the, they're in the um, the temple and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Wesker's like, uh, you know, she shows up. He's like, you haven't changed, you know. And then Chris is like, Wesker, you are alive. And then he unmasks Jill. And then he's like, staggered. Excuse my language. He's like astonished that this character, like that Jill, is actually still alive. But he like was hoping that she'd be alive. You know, this whole time. It's it's just yeah. yeah. There's like certain things where it's like you could tell they're going for the dramatic moment, and it's like thinking about it. You know, in retrospect, it's like it's strange. It's strange how like the differentiates between the two. So it, it makes Chris seem like you know, like okay, he's been working those biceps a little bit, but like, where's your head at, buddy? Sometimes. <laughs> It says a lot, though, because, like, you think about it, Chris is, like, a quiet, down-on-himself, 
guy at this point. Like his confrontations, for example, with Irving are just a guy who's like it's just complete contempt and sneering, doesn't take him really that serious. But the second Wesker's there, he's like he's switched on and like focused, gone pointed. Yeah, uh, and, and you know he's. It, it's amazing how much the, the threat of Wesker and the appearance of Jill uh, enliven him to the things around him because like you know Irving's trying to blow up a friggin' oil rig when he's like he's got like as much interest as like oh, okay cool let's go like, <laughs> Which, yeah, and that there's works not perfectly. much of a panic in him yeah yeah, yeah. and when, when he finally kills him it's like poor bear <laughs> like that's it no, no no real like any any satisfaction in having taken him out yeah you know, having just fought a giant squid man but yeah, okay, cool. And I think it's I think it's actually great, you know, despite despite sort of like those like, you know, uh those those wavering moments where it's like, okay, does this really kind of make like sense with like, you know, like the distinction between Jill being alive and then Wesker being alive. Stuff like that largely, you know, like the Irving stuff, you know, it, it, and the distinction between those two things, it really does, you know, stand out. It, it, you know, this is the culmination of of a guy who's been doing this for like eleven years, he's yeah. he's it's not as it's not nearly his first rodeo, and it won't even be nearly his last. Um, so exactly, he's, he's almost despondent. He knows how much he's going down. Like yeah, he could just he's like a a, a stack of just anybody, nobody villain. He's like already killed God knows how many at this point in his career. Yeah, yeah and I think I think it's a testament to um, you know the the focusing uh, on the character, like the the quality of Chris, like you know. Like, like he values like um I guess he va- values like people like certain people in his life well differently like Wesker he just wants to like you know get rid of but it's like it, it bothers him so much because he knows the significance of Wesker's involvement in all this stuff and obviously it started with the betrayal all the way back in 98 um and stuff like that but then you know Jill like you, you the difference you know in the significance of, of the people in his life compared to how he's had to deal with you know, just like the crazies, you know, who just want to, you know, just want the power or want the glory, you know, with these viruses or doing all, causing all this damage and stuff. It's, it's really like another testament to Chris's character, um, you know, when it comes down to it. So right. I, I, I thought, I thought it was, it's very interesting. And then, God, RE5 is so friggin' elaborate. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's quite a lot. I feel like I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Aren't I it? know, and the thing is, we need we've got so much more to get through. <laughs> oh, I mean, cart before the horse, maybe, yeah. but it feels like at times this is like the big. This is the kind of final shot on the umbrella we never got, but it's just Chris versus Wesker as opposed to the whole kit and caboodle. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, because which... that grudge gets buried. At least, hopefully, for now, forever buried here. Um, yeah, you know, and that that the the chemistry of you know good versus evil, Chris versus Wesker. Like yes, there's some over the top cartoony boulder punching, but between that and there though, you know, it's actually you you could probably see why Chris hates him so much the way he behaves and how much he puts him through. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's that, it, that fight on the plane. You can actually there's that that glare as he sees the stars pistol point in his face and stuff like that. It's like those touches. They make it that much more personal. I think two of my favorite lines from Chris when when dealing with his rival rivalry with uh, Wesker in this and and just things that really like showcase his personality. Something where like I think I might have even jumped up and even cheered because it, like the word you know determination was going around the fandom of like you know how how do you describe Chris Redfield? He's the most determined. He's got the the, the most determination out of like all the characters. Like and when when they. When they start fighting on the um, 
on the ship prior to taking off, there's that cutscene, uh, you know, where they speak to each other again. And what is it? It's uh, uh, things are get like Wesker's like things are getting real interesting now. Hey, Chris, do you think you can actually defeat me? And Chris says like the like the line that it just encompasses his entire personality. He's like, either way, I'm not going to stop until I'm dead. Mm. And I'm like, there's there's the determination right there, dude. Like that's that completely is just down to the core. And he's saying it to his arch, you know, nemesis. It's just the perfect everything just comes together right in that moment there. And then uh, the other line that I really enjoy, uh, you know, it, it's on the aircraft um, itself where Chris finally gets the upper hand with the um, uh, with the what is it the uh, the PG sixty seven AW. He's got the syringe in his hand. He, he gets... He, I, I thought I got it wrong for a second, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, like, Wesker's already weakened. They already jabbed him once on, on the ship. So he's kind of, like, you know, wavering in and out of his powers. But they finally get him subdued enough that Chris jumps on his back and he's like, I've had enough of your bullshit. Jabs him again. You're just another one of Umbrella's leftovers. And that, to me, is kind of like the... Uh, you know, that's the attitude. Like, the... He's he's kind of like in a way symbolically like going against his former superior. It, you know, like it. I know that like it's a stretch mm. to say it. It's not literal, but like you could. I mean, you it could is. hear he him to be his boss. Yeah, you, but you could hear him like <laughs> say, also saying that line probably in defiance to other superiors. Mm. If if he if he was that headstrong back in like say the Air Force or something, if he really really disagreed with something, you know what I mean? Mm. Like if he if he was really adamant about something and like you know. Uh, um, Moods were getting heated up and stuff like that. I could see him or hear him saying that. And to hear him say something like that, too, like this game really just kind of like hammers home like a lot of the personality traits um, very well. Uh, and, and I could really appreciate it for that. So it's, it's, it's very, I don't know, it just puts a smile on my face. I, there was so <laughs> many times during this game where they did stuff like that and, and it just made me like almost cheer. Yeah, that's fair. I think, you know, since you guys have sort of put your cards out there, I'd say that if we were talking about favourites, this might well be uh, my favourite Chris appearance. And it probably has something to do with the fact that it's so perfectly... Yeah, all for the silliness aside that it gets into the late game, but it does close off an arc and it does... Chris, as I said, has like a, a start, middle and end with this story, certainly. I really appreciate everything that Resident Evil 5 does from a story perspective, so that might explain why when I think of Chris... Uh, plus the fact that obviously being a massively selling game it's really become an iconic design an iconic story for him but this is certainly mm -hmm. one of my favourites if not the There's an old saying that states that life can either happen for you or life can happen to you I can't speak for anyone else everyone must cut their own path and face whatever hell comes their way If I were to apply my own to such a strict principle I truly believe that life, in more ways than one, took me on its own joyride. The distant memories which make up my life are a series of events in which I lose something even if I come out on top. Winning the fight for the day, only lose the whole war tomorrow, leaving me the broken down man that I see each and every time I look in the mirror. The face that belongs to this man has seen many horrific things, and lost countless friends and allies in the worst of ways. Yet here I am still fighting the same tireless war to which there is seemingly no end. In the brief moments when I can find some peace of mind, some moment of relief from the consistent madness of this world, it almost always ends with waking up in a cold sweat, screaming into the darkness, 
I haven't had a good night's sleep in what feels like a century. Every night I rewatch in pain and agony as each of my dear friends are cut down one by one, over and over again, by an unstoppable force. It's like watching an old horror movie on repeat, except the only scenes to play from the reel are the death sequences. Starting from that fateful night during the summer of 1998 in Raccoon City, when true evil showed its ugly rotting face, all the way up until now in this ghostly snow-covered village. I've been fighting to stop bioterrorism for roughly 23 blood-soaked years now. There was nothing in my training that could have prepared me for what I faced that night in that godforsaken mansion of death. Nor what was to follow as the evil spread worldwide. It's by some small miracle that I've never contracted any of these dangerous contagions, or gravely fallen at the hands of those who had created them. I thought that the world would be a better, safer, and overall more secure place once Umbrella was put out of their misery. I'd come to find that their downfall would only create more like them, using what they had left behind or sold off to the highest bidder on the black market. Weapons only made more wicked by someone else who became just as deluded as them. Evil never dies, and yet here I am, still trying to put an end to it once and for all. Although it seems there is some shred of hope in all of it. Since the fall of the Umbrella Corporation, those who hated their former employer mobilized themselves into a new organization by the name of Blue Umbrella. They now work every day to clean up the mess they made, while helping those like myself who fight to stop companies like their former masters. A bizarre twist of fate that in all my years I never saw coming. It's hard to place my trust in them, but I have more pressing concerns right now. I've been off the grid for some time, silently making myself invisible to those in the BSAA. I took those whom I felt I could trust to form my own covert operations group that I have now called the Hound Wolf Squad. I chose them, and I chose them well. Together, we completed many successful missions prior to leaving the BSAA's watchful eyes. There were others that I specifically left off this team for my own reasons. Jill. I didn't want to involve her in all of this. She's been through enough already, like myself. I almost lost her back in Africa at the hands of Albert Wesker. Again, we won the battle and lost the war. I don't want any more of the people I care about to die because of my choices. I have a feeling that this mission in Europe may be the last. Either way, those who have died won't do so in vain. It's time to lay these ghosts of the past to rest. Let's briefly touch on uh, a side story now and really try and sum this up as quickly as possible because we've got some more monstrous games to come. Uh, in 2010, Redfield recruited Piers Nivens to the BSAA after being impressed by his shooting skills with a sniper rifle. In August that year, Chris was called back into the field when he went to Philosophy University in Western Australia to assist, with his, form to assist his former teammate Rebecca Chambers following a number of strange student disappearances. This is Biohazard the Stage for those of you who haven't necessarily seen it or even even heard of it yes it's a stage show uh put on in japan that is i guess technically canon, canon. yeah it doesn't disturb anything so why couldn't it be canon and it does take place between five and six and it introduces peers a little bit and we do have chris uh as portrayed by uh, sijiro nakamura um just to sum my thoughts up on it i guess that it is hard to rate performance when it's in another language but i enjoy chris and once you nestle into it it's quite easy to suspend uh, the disbelief that this is 
a Japanese Chris Redfield. Uh, the writing seems pretty accurate to me with Chris and sort of his goals and the way that he sort of handles situations and talks to other people. Um, it's I don't I'm not massively keen on the RE one flashback. Whilst it's, it is nice in its own way, Chris comes off a bit too action hero for me. But that might just be the pacing of the thing to get through that flashback as quick as possible and to get us sort mm-hmm. of on the rails with the actual story they're trying to tell. So I can kind of forgive that. And uh, it was nice that he had his Resi 6 accurate costume. Steve, what do you think of the stage, briefly? I think you've pretty much touched on everything I would like to say, but generally I like the fact that it's Chris on the job and he's not in either a really stressed out state, as he is going to be, or a despondent sad state, as he just previously was. (laughs) And so it's it's nice to see this is what Chris is like when he's just doing his day job and he's having a normal one. Being that it's set between (laughs) five and six, which are like two massively dramatic (laughs) stories for Chris, you're right, it's nice just to see him just doing a thing. (laughs) Yeah, and he's, he's, he's... you know, uh, as as far as like protagonists of this level go and have been, he's actually just an all right dude. Like, yeah, <laughs> I actually like that about him. He's kind, of, he's kind of like what well, he he's he's basically settled into being um, like sort of like the the leader at this uh, at this point. I think like like the leader that we would end up seeing in six. Like you yeah. can see that sort of like that transition um, unfolding here. He's. He's coming in. He's handling the situation uh, more. Um, I wouldn't say by the book, but it seems like more of like it's not a per- like we say it's not a personal mission. Um, mm. So he's coming in. He's like yeah. you know he's trying to get everything under control. Piers is, is you know uh, the one who you know he he views as we find out in six would be the one to take over for him at some point. Um, and he's he's took it, taken him under his wing. So everything seems um, very much like you know getting the situation under control with Chris, and it's completely you know um, on brand for him. Um, and I and I think uh, when it comes to there might have been like a, um, a moment. I'm going to be very honest. I watched this very recently all the way through, and I'm trying to remember it. Um, I don't have as much uh, knowledge or as as much um, you know uh, re- retained uh, memory on the stage itself like other titles. But I, if I recall correctly, there was like an instance where, like Rebecca was under attack, I think, and you see Chris kind of like he, he goes into that mode where it's like it's somebody dear to him and he tries to like protect her. Am I am I getting that right? Like somebody, and then somebody makes a comment about it. Um, I, I, I can't remember since I've seen it. To be yeah. honest, <laughs> I feel like somebody makes no, a comment right. about it, like you know, like like, uh, like protecting Rebecca or something like that. I I cannot remember though. Mm. I might be massively wrong in this. I felt like I saw like a scene where they were all being attacked at the at that uh, at the place and um, and that happened. But uh, if it is the case, and I'm right about that, it just shows that it's more of like you know he he really values like you know he values human life, but he definitely values people that are dear to him. It's it just mm-hmm. it matters, especially someone uh, like Rebecca, who he probably still views you know as like a, a younger sister at this point, uh, the way that he that he views Claire, you know, Plus, protective. Sort of- intrinsically she's tied to those memories of the spencer mansion so like that's obviously a big part of chris's history so of course he's going to protect her because she's like this surviving member of stars and kind Mm -hmm. of linked to where all it kind of started to go wrong so yeah it's it's hugely important i think for 
for him to be there. And you're, I think you're right, because if I remember rightly, and again, it's been some time, uh, Rebecca certainly gets into a few scrapes in this and needs to be saved. So I think you're probably right. Um, okay, quickly moving on then. Uh, I try and I, I summed up Resident Evil 6 in one sentence. Go me. In December 2012, Chris and the North American branch were called upon to assist the Far Eastern branch following an outbreak of the sea virus in the Republic of Adonia during a civil war. That's all you're going to get. It's way too complicated to explain <laughs> Resident Evil 6's plot. Gee, we do not have time. That seems to awfully brief. <laughs> we don't have time to explain the plot of all of Resident Evil 6. Uh, but Sonny, what did you make of uh, Roger Craig Smith's performance as Chris in Resident Evil 6? And the story that he goes on, which is an interesting one indeed, involving, of all things, amnesia. Yeah, of all things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I have to say uh, uh, one thing about Roger's performance in 6, it is uh, spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if I have to say one thing that I wish um, I had seen... When I saw this in Resident Evil 6, I wish that I saw the anger that he... That he expresses over his dying teammates to a fake Ada Wong. I wish I saw more of that anger in five for Wesker doing what he did, being Wesker and 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 doing what he did to Jill. Yes, I feel like even RE six um did it even like went even further. Like I feel like they're inverted. I feel like if those uh you know those traits were inverted for each game um, you know, more anger for that. And yeah, he'd be angry about his team. He's, he's teaching these people, but it, it seemed so personal. They really like amped up, like, you know, um, um, how much he cares about, uh, you know, the people around him and losing them to a mission and stuff like that. I think that it is at its height here in six, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and it's, and it's fantastic to watch. Um, I, I feel like they used the amnesia to really, propel it which they didn't have to really because we know chris is naturally a hothead based on description right um but yeah the amnesia the amnesia thing is definitely a certain uh a um an interesting uh choice <laughs> i i don't know why they went for it i don't know if it was to I don't know. I I actually I couldn't I it couldn't tell you why they went for the amnesia. It seems a bit unnecessary to me. It's, it, yeah, it does, it's, it's like a the to coin a phrase a fugue state. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, what he's gone through, as opposed to yeah, you know, I mean the word amnesia is what they use. But basically, you know, he's wandered off from this traumatic event, and his mind has just completely blanked it. It's just gone. Yeah, but yeah. it's not like it's the scars aren't there. And I would argue, I think the reason why he's so pissed off. This is just personal opinion, Sonny. But I finally feel like the reason Chris is so off is not so much because he hates Carla, it's because he hates himself for falling for Carla in the first place. Yeah. Falling for the con. And yeah. as a result, people died under his watch. Mm. Yeah. And he just cannot let that go. Yeah. Uh, that rage uh, makes him a lot more of a compelling character in this. I, 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 it's, well, I say that like he's not a compelling character in the other ones. It's a lot more complex, might be the word. Because he has fed up. And now he has to live with that. And he he's so angry that it leads to like a, a, another disaster that he does recover from. Mm -hmm. You know, he gets the, he gets the, he gets the talking to he deserves from his his, uh, his protege peers. Yeah, and and then they go on to quote unquote save the world. But yeah. you know, it, it takes so much of him losing his temper and making some dramatic mistakes to get there. And which is funny because before that even happens, he feels like you know the the evolution of like RE five post RE five. You know him happy having got you know his motivation back so to speak. Chris, 
until it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. And it's like one of the more complex arcs a character goes on in these mm-hmm. games. Yeah. Um, uh, PTSD and <sighs> amnesia still doesn't feel like the right word. Just mental blocking out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and then when he finally gets his memory back, and the first thing on his mind is basically settling that score. Like, you know, where is Ada Wong? Yeah. It's, it's some tense stuff. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, and um, I, I think. Um, I think it's it, well. It's interesting coming off of RE five because because you know by by the end of it we know that like you know it's it, everything's worth it, and then right into RE six it's like boom now you, you got to like almost co- sort of reset that and now it's basically transferred to settling a score with another character, mm-hmm. um, and sort of being like at a disadvantage again like having to you know uh, what what does he say in the beginning he says get my life back or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So he says, yeah, and it's like, yeah, but we just came off. I thought, I thought you did get your life back in the yeah. previous game. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a strange, it's a like, one, sort of it? like, yeah. It, it feels it. like it feels like um, going from Return of the Jedi with Han Solo to The Force Awakens, where he's like just completely reduced back to being like a smuggler again or something like that. You know what I mean? It seems, it seems like a reset again. Um, and and like I said, I mean the performance is fantastic, and and you know. I would argue that RE6, up until the recent um, like remakes and, and uh, 7 and Village, had the strongest character moments um, in the series. The story didn't know what the hell it was doing. I saw, <clears throat> I saw characters having great moments amidst like, like a complete freaking mess of a story. Like, you yeah. know, but, but in those isolated character moments, they were like very, um, very strong uh, and mm. very... Very well constructed, um, more so than than I think any other in the series at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting that when Chris goes missing, the two women in his life that he saved when they went missing don't show up. Mm. I find that to be a little strange. Um, Pierce, I mean, Pierce is a great character, but I, I still to this day I lament that Claire and Jill are not in this game. It seems like such a personal game. Um, you know, uh, for for Chris, you know, Wesker aside being gone, it was still like a very personal journey for him. I think that, and and them being absent, I don't know, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. If this game had been designed with Chris's story as the thing at the center, then you could certainly get that. I think it's because Resident Evil Six's plot is so complex with so many characters doing things, overlapping, and all kinds of stuff, and you've got this the sort of Ada Wong backstory bits and pieces that we do get uh, yeah that's probably why if this was like resident evil 5 like a chris specifically led game you'd probably get that which but it is what it like i actually yeah like so the game is so massive i, I feel like it still would have worked because you'd have like like okay let's let's do it for instance like if if instead of the helena like aspect it was like claire was with Leon or something, because Terrasave was also att- attending the stuff where President Graham, not Graham, President Benford was making his speech, and then uh-huh. somehow you know that brings Leon and Claire together. Then all of a sudden, inevitably, like you know, you're going to get Sherry, so they're all going to reunite. Then right, Ada's there. Yeah, totally. It's definitely an R two. And then the Avengers theme plays. And then the Avengers <laughs> theme plays. Yeah. I don't mean yeah. it, it was definitely the Avengers of it. Yeah. If RE five was definitely more of an RE one centric uh, story tie up. RE6 should have been an RE2 story type right. that well, we really I mean, didn't get. I, um, uh, we could Chris definitely do like a 
what we wished Resident Evil Six podcast could be. That would yeah. be like an entire other thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know. I know. I'm, I know. I know. I'm, I'm getting off track, but I feel like you kind of. The reason why I'm, uh, you know, to make a short story long, as I as I often do. The reason the reason that you know at the heart of this thing is because uh, I think it really impacts Chris's like sort of story in this. I do, I do enjoy that. It, like you know, everything is like very intense for him. But I think the fact that they are absent at such a low point for him is just kind—it's of, kind of strange. And and like I said, Piers as a character, I love Piers as a character. I think I think it's great, and he does you know he does what it, what he can, being the understudy for Chris, the one who would essentially take you know have the torch passed to him eventually. But on a personal like level, I think it impacts Chris's story uh, that you know that other characters aren't there for him, despite the performance being excellent. Yeah. It's frustrating, yeah. Um, not to jump in, but the RE6's Chris campaign like has some great character moments, particularly Chris Pierce. Chris interacting with Leon, you know, uh, even the bit with Sherry and Jake, uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating because then they get probably the weakest final boss. It's like, oh no, it turns out there was a super deadly mega thing called Chaos <laughs> that is only in this chapter and this chapter alone. Have fun with that. Whereas everything else kind of built up, you know, uh, Simmons, for example, like that is an entire legacy thing for Leon's campaign. Mm-hmm. He's in every, every every chapter. No, no real closure with Carla in any way. She gets jobbed off in a cutscene for Chris, and he fights a boat and then a giant monster. Doesn't seem fair. Yeah, and and you know, and and also Jake the, Sherry Sustanak. You know, um, sorry, go on. Yeah, and and the and I think also. I mean, this is just a, a, a different, like a sort of a diff- different aspect. Yeah, he he, get, he gets no payoff with Carla, but the fact also that I'm not saying it would have worked the same if it was the real Ada Wong, but if it was the real Ada in that cutscene with Leon and Chris, I think, and she had done something. Maybe she was framed for you know by Carla, or, or um, I mean, she was framed by Carla, but I mean, it was more in the in the sense where she was actually the one there, and it was like a. Um, sort of like a, a mishap. Like, Ada's like, well, what's going on? You know, like, Carla knows what she's doing in that scene. She, 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 like, she throws the flash grenade, she gets away, blah, blah, blah. She's totally antagonistic, but I feel like if it was also the real Ada Wong and Chris and Leon had that moment, that would also kind of, like, impact, like, how Chris would, like, you know, react to that situation as well. Mm. Um, I think the only time real Chris and uh, Ada even sort of interact is the boat, right? And she's running away from him the entire time. Basically, yeah. He basically just sees her go into, like, a room before he gets there, and, you know, and she's playing, like, cat and mouse with him in a different way than, than her and Leon, uh, you know, j- just, to, just to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the... the like you said, Sai, it's hard. It's very complex and hard to talk about the uh, the the story of RE6 because it's conflicting. Like the performance is arguably Roger Craig, Craig Smith's uh, um, Roger Craig Smith's. Like you know, it's the height of his his performance. I think he, he certainly has a lot of wavering emotions as the character in this game. But the story, it's hard to really kind of like besides those character moments, make sense of the journey. Um, mm. I really wish that Chris had kind of like retired after this personally, uh, but then he like kind of just goes I mean, goes into we ask? being the job again, you know, at the end after Piers dies and all that. I mean, he's I, got the re the renewed stuff. It seems like another thing with RE Five. It's like, oh, I'm renewed again. I'm going to do it again. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. Yeah, I know. I said let's not uh, 
make a fan version of Resident Evil Six. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. But, I'm but, going but, no, no, no. But I, 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 you know, it has to be said that I agree. You know, I feel this should have been the end of Chris's career in Resident Evil. However, you want to take that. I mean, I know plenty of people agree that the story very clearly in this game is leading up to a Chris sacrifice. Uh, the Capcom mm-hmm. kind of bottle at the end there. Um, mm-hmm. I think. So I haven't really had a chance to get into this yet, but you know, it's like. Uh, Chris is very, as you guys have said, a lot of points that I wanted to cover already, so that's perfectly fine. Chris very dramatic in this game because Resident Evil 6 is a very dramatic game. So, you know, it makes him fit into it. But I felt like he was he's the most over-the-top character in this game. And Sonny, I agree with you in the sense yeah. that it, it's, it's odd because he's so cut up about this random squadron of potential nobodies as opposed to Jill. Uh, you know, right. jokes about Roid Rage and Chris were rampant long before Resident Evil 6 but in this game he has impotent rage about him he's always bubbling away he's always angry and pulling faces and all this stuff often to a comical degree for me uh, it's all, like almost hilarious how angry he is at some points it, it bleeds into him treating his like his, his basically his his partner like he yeah. doesn't act like this way to Sheva really no, totally. like, I mean I mean he gets like a little maybe like a little uh, uh frustrated and a little stern with her about like you know when he's walking off and 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 uh she's like you know he's like you sure about this I thought you wanted to get out of here I've got a personal stake you know blah blah mm-hmm. but it's it's like passing but in this one he's like he's like gets straight up like it appears for you know confronting him about Carla like tells him to shut up and slams him up against the wall and everything and it's like yeah, I, I definitely. I'm like. Yeah, I think that's I, for, for me. Yeah. That's out of character. Like at this point, like it might have fit better with five than six, but I don't know. Either way, it it just doesn't seem right. And like he just really liked Finn and was really upset I that the young so. boy he met died. Maybe yeah. so. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I I really the thing that I do, not to just sit here like bagging on it. I guess the things that I do like about RE6's Chris story is like. The whole story with Piers trying to pull him up by his bootstraps is really cool and a different direction to take the character after yes. he's become, as we said, the closest to a superhero that he gets in Resident Evil 5. Like mm-hmm. the idea of this uh, kid who maybe idolises a strong word but absolutely looks up to Chris trying to pull him up to his former glory, which is, again, probably why it should have ended the way that it probably should have ended. Um but yeah. they, they, there you go. You know, uh, and I, for all I of what it's of... worth, and everyone says it, Chris winds up surviving this game and is, is in exactly the same spot he was when he started the game, which is, again, unfortunately, the shadow of RE5's great arc looms mm-hmm. over a big <clears throat> reset for Chris, as you put it. The, despite the, despite you know all the all the grievances with everything, what I could say that I really appreciated and enjoyed um, about. Uh, the the character i do think it should have ended differently i I think um peers should have lived and succeeded him but what i do appreciate up until that moment um is the dynamic between the two of them because i Mm -hmm. i think i i think that you know at at this point chris had his you know his renewed um sense of um you know of of continuing on of of, i guess like self-worth or or you know all of the fighting you know all of it being worthwhile so he decides to train a new, you know, a new, um, uh, basically a new age or new generation of BSA soldiers. He decides to become a leader. And we were talking about how he, you know, in five, he is um, one of the original founding members. And 
still doing the grunt work, still being on the field, still at the mercy of, you know, of HQ or whatever. Um, and not really taking a more like, you know, head of a, head of a unit, uh, role. So he loot, like he's losing soldiers in this game. Uh, you know, he loses the first team in Adonia. Then he's, he basically, he loses his, his entire, um, uh, Lian Sheng team, Lan, Lan Sheng team as well, you know, including Pierce. So maybe he didn't, Maybe he begrudgingly took the role, or he thought maybe he should take the role um, of, of leader, of squadron leader, uh, where he might have just been better as just, you know, working alone. I don't know. But the fact that he has, like, this dynamic with, with peers who I would I would say what, what I love about their uh, relationship is that he probably sees a young, like, his younger yeah. self yeah. in peers. He sees who, who he was, like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. When he was like you know the subordinate to you know in stars to to say Wesker or maybe like who he was in the Air Force, um, and and he sees that same drive, he sees that same you know strong head, that same determination, that same quality of being unwavering and uncompromising and doing the right thing, and um, and I and I could really appreciate that dynamic. That you know it's no wonder that he want that he was thinking of retiring, and I think. I think it, it just would have been great if they fully went through with it, um, you know, because it, it would have really – the, the performance and the dynamic and, and the chemistry and how that all worked out was great, but then they just they, they just couldn't put the stamp on it, unfortunately. You know, but I all that stuff is, is fantastic. Yeah, it's important when it comes to, like, passing the talk stories that we not literally get it, but, like, having Chris and Piers in sort of, like, that role that you're just saying with the subordinate mm-hmm. and superior – that yeah. sets up Piers for a successful run where the fans are actually invested in him as a character because he's had this appearance alongside a legacy character. Shortly after the events of Liangshan, Chris joined up with the Mexican Special Forces on a mission to apprehend black market weapons merchant Glenn Arias. This is the setup, of course, for the third CGI Resident Evil picture. Uh, the first appearance for Chris in the CGI verse, if you like. Played again by Kevin Dorman, returning to the role. Quite a surprise, that was, but a welcome one, I think. Uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Vendetta. You know, I I like this Chris quite a lot because... And maybe it is because after Resident Evil 6, it's nice to see a Chris with a cheeky grin who can joke around with colleagues. And also, in retrospect... It does actually make me go and go, okay, maybe Chris is so broken in RE6 by his random team dying because he does get close to his team. And you see a bit of that in Vendetta where they're on the helicopter and they're making jokes about Breaking Bad, whatever you might think about that timely <laughs> reference. It's like it's you get to see him sort of like interacting with his team. So, yeah, okay, of course he's going to be emotionally cut up about it. So it is nice to get that and be like, yeah, okay, rather than just seeing them on a mission and then they all die, you get like an introduction to them a little bit. Um, unlike Leon, who kind of at times is seeing people at distance, Chris can't yeah. really help but find the humanity in people, and then he kind of suffers for it in the end. Um, Which is, go. I mean, it's on brand for him like, again. Always, yeah. always, always the, the the human value over the job. It's it's exactly. always on brand with him. Yeah, exactly. So, so I I really appreciated that because you know we got um, you know I, I have my <laughs> I have my uh, my things about uh, Vendetta that I. That I'm critical of, but mm. uh, if there's one thing I could say, I do, I do appreciate Chris's um, role in this. I do like the fact, like you said, like we get those moments on the helicopter because this essentially is uh, the first um, and last time 
that we've seen Chris in a canonical uh, movie uh, mm-hmm. sense, so they could have these scenes. Mm. Um, yeah, totally. You, you know, uh, the, in the games, um, although I don't see why they can't at this point, the way the games have evolved, the games always like to kind of just throw you right in the action. Um, and if you do get any moments to uh, to kind of stop and think for a second, you know, quickly something else is going to show up and you got to just go. Um, but we do get to have some of these, like, sort of like, you know, take a second, you know, uh, unwind, you know, talk about Breaking Bad or what have you. <laughs> you get to see, you know, how he interacts with, with other people and mm-hmm. you get some personality in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, yeah, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, that much of it. Um, the performance from Kevin after 10 years, it, it's like he never left. I thought he did a great job in Umbrella Chronicles for, for what it was. Again, not my, not necessarily my ideal voice, but I think his voice kind of, it seemed different in this one. Yeah, I think he's matching closer to someone to Roger like, or to um, Roger rather than yeah. Joe. And it, it just seems to work better for him. I literally put in my notes that he's redeemed himself here for me. Because not that his performance was bad in Umbrella Chronicles, it was just kind of... It was just sort of, meh, you know, it's yeah. fine. Whereas this, yeah. I actually quite liked him in this, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that he's uh, stepped back into the role, um, you know, uh, quite effectively. I, I, I thought he gave a great performance. He, Chris still has, like, you know, that he's got that hot-headedness about him. Mm-hmm. He's going at it with Leon about, you know, Leon's just like, yeah, I don't care about anything. I'm just going to drink. Uh, they've, I mean, they've effectively like this is RE6 inverse. Yes, um, it is. you know, it's just an excuse for Chris and Leon to get angry with each other again, which yeah. is, is is a little bit boring for me. But yeah, they've they've switched they've switched the characters completely. Like Leon's like sort of like, you know, in, in RE6 he's got like sort of like the mission, and Chris is in a bar somewhere being you know a, a, you know a, an ass. And then in this, <laughs> it's Chris has a mission, and Leon's like, yeah, well, you know what, I'm on vacation, so screw it. Yeah. Um, and, and then they get, so they they kind of flip the uh, the characters here, and that's that's where I'm talking about where like sometimes the series starts to bleed things into one another. For yes. Leon and Chris, this is definitely the title um, to have really you know done that. But um, yeah. but I think it's some I think it works better in this. You know how how we're saying how we had problems with with like you know Chris's uh, sort of like origin in six. This one seems to be more on brand for the characters, mm-hmm. where Chris, where Chris is determined, he has the mission, he's got something, and and they kind of addr- address Leon's sort of past, at least his original past, um, with uh, you know having like uh, like like even RE two, it's like a you know a passing moment, too many like drinks book before or something, he, uh, yeah, before mm-hmm. getting to the the first the last job. one standing, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, I thought that was a nice touch. You know, not everybody might appreciate that, but as you know, as as someone who's uh, very much integrated into the lore and who appreciates uh, I, the lore, I, I agree. I thought that was a nice also, touch. I think it's also worth noting that what else makes it help is that the reason that Leon and Chris are clashing in RE6 is just a dumb misunderstanding over the identity of Ada Wong and stuff like that. <laughs> Whereas in this, yeah. you're right; it's truer to their characters why they might necessarily clash i didn't necessarily need to see it again but given the choice between the two i prefer this one certainly yeah yeah i I agree with that and then um and then you know chris having uh you know moments with rebecca again Mm -hmm. after after you know know, after so much time not maybe you know not everybody might have uh seen biohazard the stage so this would be you know rebecca's return for a lot of people who saw her in RE1 and RE0, um, and to see the, you know, I think, okay, I have to make this distinction here. 
the way that um, Chris and Rebecca interact in remake, where he's encouraging her, and he gives her the thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Oh man, in this mm-hmm. so. In Zero, a lot of people consider, like, when Rebecca gives Billy the thumbs up and then Billy gives Rebecca the thumbs up later on, it's like somehow the thumbs up was Rebecca's to begin with, but it wasn't. It was it was Chris's first. Mm-hmm. And when and when and when Chris does it in remake, and then you you go you, know, you flash forward to Vendetta here, and he asks her if she's okay after rescuing her from the attack at the uh, at the lab, and she just kind of just. You know, quietly just gives him the thumbs up. I'm like, that's a perfect full circle right there. Yeah. That's amazing. So you you could feel the relationship, you know, kind of come back, like reignite, like sort of like that. You know, if if it, even if it's a faint one, like a spark that was there from RE1 or you know remake specifically, actually. Yeah, I that's that's certainly a great thing. Like obviously, I think we generally speaking, the general sentiment is they handled. Rebecca pretty well in this film like they brought her back in a really interesting way and like her position and what she does for her work mm-hmm. and stuff all makes sense and again with the interactions with Chris just really good like yes you get that brotherly vibe but it's he doesn't baby her or anything like that just, it, there's a respect and there's honesty there and that kind of thing which I really like it's you know they're all, all they're a bit grown up um, so yeah I just really love that sort of hotel room scene that they get before the film sort of really starts to kick off, um, yeah. Steve, how do you feel about yeah. Vendetta and Chris's, you know, portrayal? I, I think we've all, I think we've touched on some of the main stuff, but it's like it's, it's amazing how much younger Chris feels. Like this, this feels yeah. like a Chris who's not been quite as world weary as, as his earlier self, mm. and you know he is much more lighthearted. Like this feels almost like this is set in a separate universe where only RE one ninety six happened. <laughs> 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 you know. You know uh, and all that other stuff's there doesn't help you know he, he seems just generally a lot more jovial I know obviously there are some serious moments particularly like being shot in the back and screaming as a house explodes um, <laughs> yeah. and the entire ridiculousness that is the gun car fight of incredibly poor trigger discipline yeah. um, oh boy yeah that, that's a set piece that's everybody suffers from that except John Wick Leon Bloods the Highway yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, God, yeah. murdering people why not sure um, that's what you need to do to get over it but Chris is okay, like as as a lively, 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 light-hearted soldier dude. He feels like a perfect continuation of RE One and arguably the stage, and then this, like you know, that works. I especially like the chemistry between him and Rebecca, and like that that one scene after having just rescued her, where she's basically going, "You're not know, going to wear a hazmat suit or anything." Like, why? Mm. Like that is that is a complete donut bonehead RE one Chris movie. It I is. love it for it. I was gonna mention that uh, if, you know. if you didn't. Yeah, he just shrugs when she asks him, "Why aren't you wearing a, a mask?" Like it's like he's like, eh, you know, <laughs> like, he thinks okay. he's bulletproof. He thinks he's genuinely bulletproof, and yeah. I can appreciate that. That that is some proper protagonist moron levels. <laughs> uh, at this point, I, th- I think like you know when like the explosion that RE six and Vendetta gave us. With the characters, it's no wonder that you know I'm not I'm not trying to lead us in, but it's no wonder that we got something like RE7 after this because it was just it was it was getting way out of control with like how the characters were you know just over the top and nearly Im- immortal and you know even yeah. even like Steve says even like acknowledging it <laughs> to an extent like bre- like breaking the fourth wall about well what, why you're going into a biohazard area why aren't you wearing a mask or, or a helmet or you know a hazmat suit or anything like that and it's like yeah whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it'll be fine. The ridiculousness was just coming to to a head at this point with these mm-hmm. with these types of uh, titles. 
I think it's funny because you say about leading us in, but there is a perfect thing on that. As uh, what's weird about this is obviously, I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Chris's face in this is a little bit weird. What makes it even weirder is that this came out after RE7, where Chris had an even weirder face. That's Honk. That's Honk. You can't. You can't tell me. It's, oh, it's, wait, yeah, yeah okay. it's it's Hunkfield. It's it's Honk pretending to be Chris. He's an imposter. Indeed. Of course. <laughs> Chris is sus. <laughs> Set that up. In later years, Chris was seconded to the Special Cases and Disposal Team, a unit of the BSAA elites working in controversial partnership with the rehabilitated Blue Umbrella PMC using developed anti-POW weapons and equipment. Chris was unhappy at the prospect of working with Blue Umbrella and was untrustworthy of their intentions. Nevertheless, he followed his orders and helped track down the criminal organisation The Connections and also took part in Operation Lurking Fear to arrest Lucas Baker in 2017. We are, of course, talking about Resident Evil 7, where Chris is portrayed... Yes, indeed, quite controversially by David Vaughan. Um, in the final cutscene of the game, Resident Evil 7 obviously being the title that is intentionally set quite far apart from everything else in the lore. There's very little that brings it to up, up against everything that we know and love, which is why we're all freaking out about a file at the end of the game that mentions a <laughs> bizarre company that hasn't been mentioned in 20 years. <laughs> and then surprisingly at the end, a soldier takes off his helmet and introduces himself as Redfield, and he looks nothing like Chris. Uh, and the fandom the, and the fandom exploded with the fandom with, exploded uh, with trust issues <laughs> as to who this person is. Yes, and I think yeah. Capcom even had to come out and pretty much put out some statements. Let's be honest about it. So, Steve, how do you feel about uh, Chris's new face model and you know what we get to see of him as a character in the little bit that we get in Seven? But I guess we get a lot more in the DLC. So, obviously, take that into account. This is where Steve gets shot and taken out by the fandom and just executed because I didn't hate it. I just saw this version of Chris as like someone took our remake Chris, which would have been remaster Chris and, uh, and then did him up in the RE engine and uh, it's the hair colour I think that mostly throws people off personally because mm-hmm. he's more blonde than he is brown and you know because to me as a from remaster which was the most recent Chris to then I could see it. I, you know it's not the same aged up bulky Chris that we've seen from like you know five and six but it's okay uh, character wise I actually really love his character in this yeah. like as as the professional soldier still cares for these people of the, the blue umbrella troops like and he's not despondent or tired he's just a guy on the job and like that is it the, he again he sees um, you know Lucas as Irving 2.0 he's still just crap on his boot he don't give a <laughs> f- you know <laughs> And then when it comes down to the final lines where our brother's like, need to do this for the tech guys, like, he just shoots at Crimea River. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm done with this crap. He doesn't trust them, but he's working with them, and it just works. I can see it as a through line to his character. I agree. Where he's going. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I have no real big issue with it. I can understand the issue with the costume. I can understand the insanity of Chris's working with Blue Umbrella. But when you realise he's actually BSAA on, like, loan... It's not too bad. I really like uh, that whole part of the story with him being untrustworthy about this blue umbrella and therefore untrustworthy about the fact that the BSAA, the company that he helped start, uh, would kind of, I guess, overrule his objection and work with them. And it's a really interesting turn. Whilst I agree that Six would have a great bowing out point, like this idea of the suspicious Chris kind of being pushed out by his company is a really interesting turn for him. Um, I'm with you. I didn't hate it. 
I do understand why people rebelled against the face. I find the voice to be pretty decent. It is just the face that's mm. a little bit weird. Um, yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people could talk about RE7 as a soft reboot. And for me, Chris's face is the closest thing in the game to a soft reboot that we get. Because the story <laughs> being far away from everything... <laughs> no, the, no you, just the way you say The story <laughs> being far away from everything doesn't make it a reboot. It just makes it a story that's not affiliated with everything else up to a certain point. And people talk yeah. about the stylistic return back to RE1 in the early days. That doesn't make it a reboot. It just makes it stylistically nostalgic or whatever. Chris being a totally different, unrecognizable guy, that feels like a reboot, which they've obviously kind of backpedaled on a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Overall, it's fine. It doesn't particularly offend me. At the same time, I'm kind of glad they changed it. It does make Vendetta feel a little bit weird in multiple ways. Uh, they need to do an integral game now where he actually has to have his face changed to make a big friggin' deal. Makes uh, you know, proper, has plastic like surgery twice. Thing. Well, that's why that's why Reverse is using both. That's why Reverse is using both. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, let's get John Travolta in. Let's get Nicolas Cage in. You know, do the whole movie where Chris has to wear someone else's face. Yeah. And they can be honk just to make everyone laugh. That's the funniest <laughs> aspect because because it's a uh, uh, Jordy Dandy, the face model, both times just with you know different. Um, uh, different tweaks made for Village. Yeah. yeah. So you know it, that, that's what that's what's really uh, in, in, you know kind of insane about it when you think about it. Mm. Um, <sighs> it's mad. Yeah, Sonny, what do you think of uh, Chris's portrayal here? So bouncing off of Vendetta, um, it's obviously very jarring because you know Chris has he 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 has neither his you know his his re six. Uh, f- he doesn't have his re six face in either title. So you got one face change there. Um, you know, in Vendetta, and then you got this face change here in Seven, but across two different mediums, and it's like, what is going on? Are there Chris clones out there? Was this Revelations trailer that we got many, many years ago? Like, is there something <laughs> to it? I don't know. Um, but no, it's all the same character. Um, and uh, whereas Vendetta's Chris, all all in all, felt younger. RE7's mm. Chris looks younger, but still has the grizzled. You know, it's a it's a grizzled evolution in David Vaughn's voice from from uh, Roger Craig Smith, I think. Mm. So so he he I would argue arguably say that uh, Seven's um, face, whereas Steve thought it was an evolution of remake's face, I would argue I would go all the way back and say it's an evolution of classic RE1 one's huh. look. Um, or maybe Ari One and and Code Veronica, and it's mostly yeah. the yeah mostly the hair for sure. Mm. But you wait, uh, they'll get to Ari Nine and they'll scan in Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's back. He's doing stuff. That'd be, that'd be cool. That would be yeah. great, actually. Wouldn't that it? would be that would be incredible, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I um despite the fact that you know uh, he's really not. Jordy Dandy's you know face is a Chris Redfield face. I mean, like when you look at photos of the guy. Um, you know, he he looks like he looks like uh, like a you know a real life like remake, uh, Chris uh, with his facial features. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened when they implemented you know implemented into the game. Like I think people were making like comments about like how the jaw was a little shallow or uh, something something with like you know the the hair or the hairline or something like that. Um, tweaks that were definitely made in Village. Like like Village, he gets like that you know like almost like that. Like Boulder esque, like you know, jaw, like the much more like uh, sh- straight, hard edged jaw, and then like other tweaks with the hair and stuff like that, just kind of brought out the ultimate version. But for this, there was, it just it seemed, it was enough for people to think that he was different, you know. So 
aside from his look looking different, I have no problems um, with the character and the performance. I do like the fact that they, I think they originally, I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, if they somebody did uh, data mining or something, that he was supposed to initially be with Blue Umbrella, like the soldiers were Blue Umbrella um, soldiers, and he was like actively like working with them. Huh. And then they changed it to him being on loan from the BSAA. And I, I think even the Blue Umbrella soldiers might have been previous BSAA soldiers. That one I might be a little iffy on. I can't remember mm. uh, too much. But... I like the angle that that like yeah like there's he's basically ha- like he's at odds with the BSAA, having him work with this company. He doesn't trust this company because it's essentially a revival of the you know of the one that came before you know trying to tout that it's on like a redemption arc. So he's very suspicious, but I I very much love the fact that he's doing it anyway because he decides to do it and and he's keeping an eye on things. Mm. Um, he's, he's got an ulterior, you know, uh, perspective on this and, and he wants to see how things develop. So he's going to, he's going to play ball for now, uh, mm. so to speak. And, and, uh, it kind of goes against him being so defiant when you think about it. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and so against like, you know, uh, like what his authority would, would typically, he would typically just be like, no, screw this and, and not do it. Um, I, but he's actually like kind of yeah. playing the game here. You know? It's interesting. Like maybe it's growth of character for him to not immediately go okay no but he internally mentally knows something's up and which is why obviously following seven um mm-hmm. he kind of like puts together his own group and that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. may like, you could say that it's character growth that he doesn't immediately tell everyone no and start firing on his own team <laughs> but like <laughs> he's he's putting together his own plan in the meantime yeah, and I, th- I think it's funny that people like thought that he might have been hunk. Um, I don't know if it's because they were wearing all like black, like umbrella yeah, fatigues, yeah, or being or being a part of an, an umbrella team, or or maybe it's a, a side effect of the fact that at this point Chris and Hunk had basically become the same character with <laughs> be them being the only survivor yeah. <laughs> of their teams between you know Chris and Six and and Vendetta and Seven, and the fact that like he um, also. Um, uh, he also adopted the neckbreaker move in RE6 as well. <laughs> you know, like it's there's just so many correlations at this point between him, him and Hunk that I could understand why, like why, why I guess maybe sort of like uh, subconsciously maybe a lot of people thought it was that character. It's it's. I mean, they've never been in the same room. There might be some hell of a terrible twist coming. Yeah. I, you know, I was Hunk all along. <laughs> dun dun dun. Um, I. Uh, I want to talk about the fact we keep saying Chris should go into an advisor role, and he technically does this in the DLC because he's the one still overseeing Umbrella after um, Not Hero has concluded it through into End of Zoe. He's still there. That, yeah, that, that, that seems strange for him because Chris is normally the guy who you send in to solve the problem, not the aftercare. Right. Um, mm, that's yeah. a good point. So he must still be in deep with Umbrella long enough to really get his suspicions constantly. Yeah, I... Because like, that's, that's like a good two or three weeks at least. Yeah, I, I think at this point he's like covertly looking for the evidence that something's mm. up with the blue umbrella. He's not jumping to the conclusion. He's he's looking for the proof before he does something and maybe that's part of it. Again, mm. headcanon, I guess, but... No, no, yeah. but it, it, if the shoe fits, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and uh, I, I know and there is a distinction there. I mean, like, you, you could, you know, attribute it to character growth. And it's, and for me, I always love a great character arc. I always love to see growth in characters, see where they go. I don't want them to end up in the, you know, in the same place. Like, what we kind of, you know, he kind of ended up like that in RE6. You know, he, he kind of went in a circle a little bit. 
and uh, and this seems more um, like an evolution of his character, I think, because you know Wesker's gone, uh, a lot of other stuff largely is gone, but now we've got this blue umbrella you know issue going on, and and his own organization is a little fishy even mm-hmm. at this point. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting turn for him uh, in this, uh, you know. So for 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 the brief stuff that we get in RE Seven and the not a hero stuff, and the fact that he's still punching, you know, monsters in the face and blowing their, you know, their heads explode when his fist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> lands on impact. Despite all that, um, you know, his character stuff and 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 the story that's going on right now, and and uh, David Vaughn's voice, I, I very mu- I very much uh, enjoyed it. I very much appreciated mm-hmm. it. Well, following the Dolby incident, Chris Redfield assists the Winters in moving off-grid to Europe, even trains Ethan with military skills to defend his family. This inadvertently puts them in greater danger. Additionally, in the three years since Dolby, Redfield distances himself from the BSAA and goes rogue, increasingly suspicious of the company after their attempt to cover up the the Dolby incident and their involvement. This, of course, leads us to Resident Evil Village, the most recent appearance of Chris Redfield in the canon at this point. We pretty much already said with the new face as well, the kind of backpedal from RE7 to something kind of in the middle, you know, between Roger Craig Smith era and RE7, much closer to something like 6, I think, than David Vaughan's uh, take on Chris. But, uh, yeah, as portrayed by Jeff Shine, of course, controversial again, this one, for that reason, for the voice, not the face. Maybe that's just me. I don't like it. (laughs) I'll never get over it. Uh, um, I, yeah. The excuse of COVID is fine. I understand that. Um, I still think doing it remotely with anyone else in the world would have been better. Have Jeff Shine do the motion capture if that's going to help the whole restrictions of people during the, mm-hmm. those years or whatever. But then dial someone new in to do the voice because it's just I can't help it. It doesn't sound like Chris to me, and I don't think it ever will because it's literally the same voice. <laughs> it's literally yeah. the same voice. Jeff Jeff gave a great performance. He did um, give a great you know, performance. You, you, it's and, on and me I, that I can't separate that. No, no, no. I, I I actually agree with you. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard when you when you you know uh, when you um, love a voice actor, you love the work that they do and stuff like that. But it, it's like this is just a case where not necessarily you know does the shoe fit. You know, uh, th- th- it, there's a certain. Somebody already you, wore you, that shoe. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And, and there were multiple shoes worn, and they really kind of fit more in mm. line with... with uh, people say, oh, well, yeah, someone got recasted. It's a character, whatever. But, but I, I like to go further and be like, you know, you attribute you attribute even a voice with the... With, you know, it's not just the look of a character. It's not just uh, the mm. actions of a character, but, it you know, it's also their voice. You know, it, it's all in the... It's all part of the performance, and whereas Jeff did an excellent job, his I mean, he's Carlos. He was Carlos, exactly. uh, you know, yeah. and, and he doesn't, that type of voice just did, you know, didn't, it didn't, Roger, Kevin, and, and uh, Joe, for the differences that they have in certain aspects of their voices, all sounded relatively similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when it, like, they would all, like, at certain times melt with each other, whether maybe they sounded similar when they were talking normally or, like, you know, uh, or, or maybe yelling or, you know, all, mm-hmm. of, all of that kind of, that fit within, like, the, the Chris voice um, from my personal perspective. Jeff just has a totally different voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does sound like a different character. And, uh, and you know, I mean, while, while that... You know, while that was jarring, um, they perfected his RE engine look uh, in this uh, appearance-wise. 
for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, somewhere in the middle, what the hell was going on with the writing for his character in this? Because I have no idea mm. what they were trying to do. They were really, really trying to pull like a bait and switch, or like, uh, you know, like he's like a dark horse in this, or or something like that. And then, and then they they just pull the rug out, you know. The whole yeah, the whole thing, like him, with him shooting quote unquote, uh, you know, Mia in the beginning, and then not telling Ethan about the plan, mm-hmm. for you know, throughout the, it was like it's frustrating. It, it, it just felt like a very irresponsible Chris Redfield in this game with everything mm-hmm. that he did. Um, I don't understand why they did that. It makes no sense to me, and I don't really like how the character was was uh, um, was treated uh, story wise in this. Honestly, for the most part, I don't. It's, I felt like he was made to be be like a jerk or something. Because even the scenes with Mia, you know, like they they were just making him like 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 he's just screwed up again or something. But they were forcing it. Not that it like organically happened. It's just like everything about Chris is like something that he just screwed up in this game. But it was just not on brand for how he typically handles things. It's very irresponsible yeah. and very uh, very sort of just like. Uh, Almost like, uh, like intended, like intentionally, just like not caring, right? I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's anyway. he's standoffish and hostile to Ethan, even when like in, in that boatyard scene, like makes me very angry. Like you know the way he's like almost dismissive of Ethan's abilities, having him already seen off so much stuff and having been trained by Chris yeah. to then yeah. be dismissive of the man he's meant to be caring about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know a lot of people like the scene when they quote unquote reunite, but he still feels feels a bit patronizing and like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, kid, you know. And um, then mm-hmm. even if, if, inevitably, Chris having for some reason taken down this almost sarcastic, sardonic path up with him leads to Ethan kind of getting killed. Like I would argue, out of all the deaths that have ever happened around Chris, it's probably the one that I would say is arguably more his fault than the others. And even then, he still warns Ethan about Miranda and still. Let's him go off and get killed. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I agree it, with that actually. And this is someone who's not. I'm not trying. Not one of these people who goes, "Oh, Chris gets everybody killed." Blah blah blah. Now, that's not always the case. I feel like uh, <clears> the <throat> situations around stuff that Chris gets into, yeah, and the people unfortunately die. That's not Chris's fault. In Chris this is, case, I think Ethan's death is, is largely as much on him as it is anybody else. Yeah, um, and, and I and that whole thing about Chris gets everybody killed. No, he saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That, that it's got a meme. killed. Yeah, it's a meme because yeah. the, the previous three games, uh, well, <clears throat> well, no, not the previous three games, the previous three titles, including like Vendetta and stuff, six, seven, and Vendetta. That's it, really. Because yeah. because Howl of Squad, you know, if you they, want anything they to, they to they all come through one hundred percent. Yep, <laughs> nobody dies on that very team, true, dude. Actually. Yeah, very true. So you know, if it's with Endless Ethan, um, but I want to dial it back to Jeff Shine. Um, I think. Realistically, I think we're all attached to the fact that he does such a fantastic job as Carlos. Yeah, he's right? great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if Carlos's remake 3 portrayal didn't exist, we would probably have been a lot more fine with it mm. as a version of a gritty, tall version of Chris, who I can understand from sort of the, you know, the BSA being rotten and being pissed off about it, making strange, risky moves, but he yeah. puts his entire family in danger as a result. Um, I think it's fine, but there is Resi's falling into an unfortunate bit, and this is this has been since three, and I don't know if it's true for four. It may be, but there's a almost an anthological aspect to the casting. Like I love Nikki Lee Tompkins as Jill, 
but she's also two people in village and she may or may not be Ashley. I don't know if that's going to be confirmed mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. And that bleeds through with Jeff as well being Chris and Carlos. Yeah. Um, which is yep. a shame because like we said, uh, David, is it in seven? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is a great turn as Chris. Doesn't get much time with him, but does, you know, it, it's Chris. It works. Especially like, uh, you know, the, the vent scene where Lucas is taunting him not to dial back to the previous game. Yeah. Um, and then his character in this is like, we're playing up the fact that he's evil, but he's just kind of like, you're, you're jibing and insulting a man who's lost his child and has already proven himself moderately capable, who you moved into safety, who you trained, and you are now intentionally leaving the dark. Just doesn't feel like a Chris Redfield move to me. Never no. did. Yeah, the thing no. is, is so it's like one of the reasons that I said about him and Rebecca, sort of the honesty and the respect that he shows that character. He didn't give Ethan an ounce of that, which seems so wrong and so weird. Um, like, despite the fact that Ethan has gone through what he's been through, I feel like he would owe... He would, the time they've spent together since then, training, like, surely he would treat Ethan with respect, but you don't get any of that. As you say, like, he leaves him completely in the dark about what's going on. Then when Ethan shows up later, yeah, it's just like, oh, don't get involved. This is way above your head. You're blah, 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 which is only going to make things worse. And then, yeah, later on in that final scene between the two of them, it's meant to be kind of like a reconciliation. Yeah, Ethan's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kick Miranda's ass. And Chris just kind of yeah, like, sure you are. he's like, Psh, yeah, or he's like, like you were a kid. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. And as you say, and then it leads to his death, which is rather unfortunate. I, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I'm in agreement with both uh, you guys. Uh, so the, the Chris we've seen previously, like, totally would not have done something like that. I think we can agree. Exactly. Yeah. It, this I is mean, so it, out of character, and I'm, this is probably why we're all saying the same thing. This is probably one of the worst Chris appearances, if not. Turns me. out the one who looks like Chris is Redfield. <laughs> <laughs> that is Hunk. What a b- it. Sorry, now no, I'm going to for that again. <laughs> no, to I, I, I positives, agree. Though, I do like the tiredness in his character here and the way that's portrayed and the, the I wonder if it's all worth it at this point has turned to when does it end puff puff on a cigarette which is mm. kind of kind of fun and a kind of fun turn and it does well, the, the cigarette is, is a yeah the cigarette is a nice uh, callback to it, o- it only is. the uncensored you know um, live action cutscenes from OG RE RE1 mm. uh, yeah that's and a, nice a weary soldier. He's an interesting character with yeah, his teammates. Exactly. The, you know? the stress of his company kind of like turning on him is probably the way that he sees it. Kind of like you get to see that a little bit in this, although we don't actually dig into it and we probably won't till we, we might do on the next game, let's hope. Um, mm. Like yeah, you get to see a little bit. And I like that, but the rest of it just like, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't match for me. It doesn't gel. And you were right about that, Steve. Like with, uh, with uh, they brought back like essentially all the actors from RE7 and and most of them from Resident Evil 3 Remake to mm-hmm. be in this game. Like they make up I mean, basically the entire cast with a few outliers. Except David Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. 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 Except David Vaughn. Yeah. It's not looking down on them. You know, they did great yeah. turns. Like I, I, Todd Soli as Ethan was great. Uh, mm-hmm. Maggie Robinson, uh, Robertson, sorry, as uh, Alcina and Neil Newman. That's fine. Yeah, Neil Newman. As Nicholas Cage, sorry, you know, Miranda, Heisenberg. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it, they, they all doing great, but we, we already we already know where they're from, Capcom. We know we know who they were. Yeah, they, they were they were different. They were different characters previously. Like this hadn't really this hadn't largely happened. As a matter of fact, it, what's funny about this is that largely in the past, um, the only other actor I think who played different characters was another Chris actor. It was Roger. So he played Curtis yeah. Miller in Degeneration, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he played yeah, Billy true. Cohen in Umbrella Chronicles. So, mm. so, so that's, the time. 
Yeah, some of the time. <laughs> yes. Some of the time, yes. So it's kind of funny, actually, that uh, that Chris got a, yet another different, um, you know, voice actor that was previously another character. Mm. You um, wait, you wait. We'll get to RE3, I mean, sorry, Remake 4, and we'll get to separate ways, and Roger Craig Smith is now voicing Albert Wesker. <laughs> just, 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 just in one of the waters even further. <laughs> but yeah, it's... it's uh, <laughs> It, Chris's section when you play as him in this was very exciting. Yeah, that's um, fine. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it, it uh, once again, it shows the difference between who he is and who Ethan is. Mm-hmm. Um, at at this time, uh, how he deals with all, like you know, especially he's got more technology with with Hound Wolf Squad. Like he's like, what was it? Like he was able to basically map out. Um, Use like use like a, a a transmitter or something like that to, for like a, a strike on mm. on a you know on a target stuff like that. Like he's he's very much elite in in the combat and and everything that's that's going on. Um, whereas Ethan, you know, he was trained by Chris, but he's still very much a civilian with training. Yeah. You know, like he's like not an actual Capcom soldier. Acknowledge the difference with that where they go right. You're playing as Chris. Everything's action. You are overpowered AF. Have some fun. Like, mm-hmm. of course, it would make no sense to tone him down. They're acknowledging this is where Chris is at now. So I like that separation, certainly. Yeah, Chris and- is at such a deadly level that no bio-weapon threat or incident can now oppose him if he has a handgun and an assault rifle, perhaps an artillery shell behind him. Yep. Wins. It- and 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 a, and, uh, and a right hand, <laughs> or left hand, or whatever, whichever fist he used. I can't remember if he switches uh, between this and and the seven and stuff like that. Right and left. Um, but uh, I, mean, I mean that that actually, you know, as much as we've been complaining about how he's not on character, Chris is the the, the scalpel who cuts through the biological weapon horde. I can believe Tony has on character for him. That's on character at this point. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, I visually, do, well, capability-wise. Well, he was... he was Anytime that he's really interacting with Ethan or doing anything with, like, you know, the, like the winter side of stuff, he seems, like, completely different because the moment that you start to play his section and and he's interacting with the uh, Hound Wolf squad and, like, you know, t- like being the leader of the team and everything, that was very much in character. Yeah. You know, that that was arguably one of the best uh, sort of, like, rallying, um, you know, I, I, like, scenes... Uh, it, like like I said, his section is exciting. I was like all pu- like getting pumped up when he was like, you know, failure is not an option. You know, make sure you do, like uh, he's he's telling everybody to do like you know like what aspect of their job, whether it's recon or like you know scout this out, do this thing, mm-hmm. and failure is not an option. Like that's the Chris Redfield that we know. Um, mm-hmm. But then but then yeah, he just for some odd reason Ethan just rubs him the wrong way in this game, even <laughs> though he's actively like like you know he's actively like you know being part of the problem. Chris, mm. he's he's the one. He's kidnapping, you know, Rose, because he knows about Miranda. Won't tell Ethan about Miranda. But then the kidnapping of Rose by Hound Wolf Squad fails, and then she gets kidnapped by Miranda anyway. So it's it, it, nothing makes any sense with Chris's character in this. Ethan was like know. Chris's charge, and unfortunately, he failed him. And it's mainly because in Resident Evil Five, there's this one folder file that says Ethan W, and he always had that doubt, that suspicion. <laughs> That oh, Ethan no. W was actually, in fact, Ethan Wesker. Oh, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Yes. I'm kidding. And, and Chris remembered that from Spencer's Notebook. <laughs> Spencer, Spencer's Notebook, nonetheless. Yeah, that's uh, hmm. Yes, and, and that's exactly why he's a jerk to Ethan this entire yep. game. So, <laughs> to surmise, and I guess I think we probably all think that the village uh, Chris appearance is perhaps the most lacking. Uh, so let's 
kept, we've been going a long time. It's a long old podcast. So I'm going to politely ask everyone to try and keep it brief if you can. But let's uh, let's conclude. What's your favourite Chris Redfield appearance and what the character means to you? Steve, I'm going to let you go first because, Sonny, I know that uh, it's a big one for you. So, Steve, go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's hard to unpack for me. Like, you know, of the big four, I would probably turn around and say, you know, Chris is the kind of guy who you can rely on. Right, you know, he's the, he's the guy you rely on, especially now, as he's, he's, he's generally, he, you know, he's like me on the podcast. He always turns up. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, so he's got a lot of versions, a lot of iterations. And I, you know, I, Sonny's probably going to say this a lot more in depth, and I think it means that a little bit more to him. But I still think Remake Chris is the kind of like the nicest human version of Chris we get. Here, but here. The, you know, and then you look again and you look at like RE5, and that's probably Chris is his most uh, emotionally compelling yeah. for me, like the arc. There, so there's, there's there's two hats to wear. You know, I, I actually have a you know, in my recent retread. I, I actually have a lot. You know, I'm going to tell actually not a hero, Chris. It's kind of like as a cool modern era, Chris mm-hmm. as well. So to nutshell it, all the versions of Chris are fine, <laughs> <laughs> but I have an affinity for remake Chris, especially because of the humanity of him. Mm. I think that talking about this, as is often the case, has uh, made me a little bit warmer about it because out. Of the four core characters, I feel like I always feel the less about Chris as a character. Um, And I think that, not to be harsh or anything, but I do feel like at a certain point he kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit. We were talking about the perfect exit and that kind of thing. That being said, I am intrigued about the character moving forward and the BSAA thing, and maybe we'll find a better exit point at that stage. Uh, But you're right, in terms of like a reliable protagonist, and whilst... He can be a little bit meat and potatoes sometimes. At least he isn't uh, the most generic man alive. Like he was, since we said from the beginning onwards, he's been uh, a human being instead of just like a cardboard cutout of a soldier. Um, and whilst we've got closer to that over the years, at least the stories around him have been interesting, which is why. He becomes a peak soldier in six, and the following film, the next thing he did is a CGI film where he's a total donut. Yeah, well, exactly. There you go. <laughs> and sometimes that's what you want. Uh, but RE5, yeah. as I said before, is probably my favourite just because of the story that he gets to go on and I just felt like it's such a, a perfect summation of everything that led up to that point. Uh, Sonny, again, your favourite Chris appearance and what the character means to you. It's Remake. Uh, Steve was right and it's because it's the most human. I think RE5 would have taken the cake if they didn't go over the top with it, uh, mm-hmm. turn him into a bit of a, you know, a, bit of a superhero a um, little bit uh, more like comic book action hero versus uh, comic villain with Wesker. If they had kept it a little, kept it a little more grounded, I, th- I think um, you know with that game and the rivalry, I think five would have taken the cake. But for me, it has to be a remake because I think um, while he didn't get as nearly as much to work with uh, as as Kevin Dorman and Roger Craig Smith, I think Joe White just brought um, the most humanity. Uh, to the character and I think uh, you know that goes back to what we were discussing throughout the podcast the human values the the, the qualities um, and kind of just being uh, uh, more gra- like just grounded in reality um, mm-hmm. I that's something that that's a personal like taste for me I like when things are more grounded in reality like uh, you know and um, sort of balance, balance themselves out rather than going you know above, above and beyond to the point where I'm like this is not possible <laughs> <laughs> Some of this is just just really stretching the imagination. Um, yeah, it it just uh, to me, um, Chris Chris was a human in remake. 
but he still had all the, the qualities of someone, uh, you know, who had a, a, a large um, sense of justice, drive, determination, value for human life, um, wanted to do the right thing, even if it got him in trouble with his, you know, with any authority figure that he was under. Um, he, he was just uncompromising in that sense that he wanted to do the right thing and just would just like bow, bow to no one in that sense. And for me, ever since I, you know, uh, was a wee one up until now, I always found that very inspiring and something to look up to. So that's, that's how that's Chris, Chris Redfield for me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the First Dates Break Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fhspraypod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for as little as $1 a month. On our next episode, we return to the snow-capped 2021 smash hit Resident Evil Village as the long-awaited DLC is almost among us. Join us for our immediate reaction to the winter's expansion. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of us individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore 123. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. And Sunny is at SunnyBauer8462. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. A mental image when it comes to the profile episodes of there's the um, two men in the last revelation, right? Mm. Um, all the villains and various characters of her life are basically sat in a um, like a, a living room, reminiscing about their adventures, and that's what feels like profiles. We're all just reminiscing about Chris Redfield's journey, their story. Yeah. Their everything. Yeah. Sat around a fire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether it's uh, uh, yeah, that, that's the that's the one. That's <laughs> the one. All right, that made me feel instantly better. <laughs> there you go. Setting minds yeah. at ease, Steve. There you go. <laughs> we don't need to be perfect. We just need to remember, oh, yeah, Chris Redfield, he's that one who shot the zombies, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I forget what else. Uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's that guy that shot the zombies, and then he and then he shot more zombies, and then maybe <laughs> maybe there was a snake or a shark, or it depends on which way he went. <laughs> I don't and then know. they remade him shooting the zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then time passed, and he was, I don't know, he was shooting like, you know, like Las Plagas parasites, and I don't know. Yeah, dealing with that crazy guy in the sunglasses multiple times throughout history. Yeah, that guy.